Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on a Tuesday morning on 101 ESPN. It's 7:01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Character. Good morning, Michelle. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy. How are you? Good. Happy All Star Game Day down in uh, Dodger Stadium in LA. It'll be the second All Star Game. For Dodger Stadium, actually the, the first since 1980, and uh, the Cardinals have four representatives tonight. It'll be good. It will be good, and uh, I'm sure it's going to be fun. But I don't know if it's going to be half as fun as the home run derby we watched yeah, last night. It was pretty cool. It was it was fantastic. Albert Pujols with his final, his fifth and final home run derby, and the young guns in Major League Baseball really stepped up with Juan Soto and. Uh, Julio Gonzalez coming away with uh, uh, Julio Rodriguez uh, going to the finals and coming away with uh, the championship was the 23-year-old. So to the first time in home run derby history that both five 23 and under. And that's exactly what baseball needs, Randy. That was such a great event last night, but the entire time I was thinking, how many people watching this, this is their first exposure to Julio Rodriguez, and this should not be the case. Baseball has a real star power problem, and it's not that they're lacking in star power. As we saw last night, there's so many electric young talents in this game. It's that the majority of the country is not getting exposed to these guys. Yeah, when you have an NFL West Coast game, it starts at 3 in the afternoon. When you have an MLB West Coast game, it starts at 9 or 9.30. And people in the East Coast aren't staying up to watch Watch a 10 or 10.30 start for the Mariners and Julio Rodriguez, let alone Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. But it's also the commitment because you've likely already watched your team and Mm -hmm. you're going to watch your team probably six, maybe seven more days that week. And you're thinking, do I really want to sit down for another three plus hours and watch a West Coast game that I really have no emotional attachment to just to see the stars? The fact that the NFL owns a day and you know that you can only Mm -hmm. dedicate one day to watching a bunch of different guys, including one game. At, at night on Sunday that you know everybody in the country is watching and it's going to be the water cooler conversation the next day. They really haven't figured out from a scheduling standpoint as far as exposure to their fans. Well, and to that point, we all know who Steph Curry and LeBron James are and they're both playing on the West Coast. And Absolutely. Starting late, right? And we've all watched them. <laughs> yeah. And, so, and we, we've watched Anthony Davis. We know the young stars on those teams. Yeah, it's just frustrating for me because I love baseball and I just thought last night was so indicative of what baseball actually does have going on. It's just a matter of getting getting it to the masses. <laughs> Not only did they have the kids, they had the oldest participant in home run derby history, and Albert Pujols knocked out the number one seed in round one. That's gone. So familiar when he gets that backspin on that ball to left field, and he's now got a couple going. 
Here we go. Albert's starting to get on a run. And another. And there he goes. Albert Pools gets seven in the extra 60 seconds. <laughs> wow. I mean, he put on a show just one after the other. Rapid succession. 19. Albert Pujols will knock off Schwarber and look at Kyle. Deference to the legend. And it was so cool to see all of baseball surround Albert Pujols. All these all-star players go and surround Albert Pujols. Kind of like in 1999 when they surrounded Ted Williams at the all-star game in Boston. But the players really showed their reverence for Albert. They did, and it's so deserving. And I... I'm kind of with some of those guys, especially Manny Machado, that I expected him to get much more of a farewell tour everywhere he went, kind of like some of the Yankee stars did. But I thought last night was really special. And I love, too, that it was kind of an impromptu thing, that the guys didn't plan it in advance, but just in the moment they felt we need to go celebrate Albert and uh, and give him a little power there. And really, I think Randy a breather, because all those guys were gassed, but boy, was Albert (laughs) gassed during that. But it didn't stop him from knocking out the number one seed in the home run derby in Kyle Schwarber, which I thought was the highlight of the night. Yeah, that, that was cool. So, Schwarber loses to Pujols, the 8 seed, 20 to 19. Soto knocks off Jose Ramirez 18 to 17 in the first round. A great battle between Pete Alonso and Ronald Acuña in the first round and Alonso wins 20 to 19. And then in the other first round matchup, it was Julio Rodriguez 32 homers and Corey Seager had 24, and as we mentioned, Julio Rodriguez stepped to the four. I wondered, Michelle, and I wonder if you thought this, that as Albert had the lead after Soto, and Soto had to come out late to beat him, after Albert had already beaten Schwarber, I wondered if the players were trying to let Albert win. I thought that same thing because, you know, Albert was doing his thing, but he's he's not putting up Julio Rodriguez no, numbers right. here, you know? And I, I was following along on Twitter, Randy, and a lot of people had that same conspiracy theory where they thought, is baseball cooking this? so that Albert Pujols can win, and it's a great storyline. But uh, Juan Soto pulled it out. Yeah, and so Soto makes it to the finals by beating Albert. Rodriguez knocks out Alonzo, 31-23. And then it was Soto, 19 homers, Rodriguez, 18 in the finals. Let's go back to Albert being surrounded by all of the players in Major League Baseball's All-Star Game. Pretty special, you know. This is the guy that I've been competing against, you know, for the last 22 years. Some of them, I think only one or two, but... uh, you know, because 22 years later, here I am, you know, but uh, it's just awesome, you know, just to see this guy, the, the new generation, the, the superstar of this gang, and to be here, you know, uh, enjoying this moment, my last career, my last All-Star game of my career, it's a blessing. I thank God for that, enjoying it with my family, my friends, and it's just good being back here to Dodger Stadium where I had great memories last year. And think about the fact that Soto is 23 and Albert has played for 22 years. <laughs> I know. How crazy is that? I actually have the... Hold on. Let's see if I can find it. It's in my notes real quick. I had the tweet of everyone's ages. Okay. Oh, shoot. Let me... I'll find it for another segment. But I have the the tweet that has everyone's ages when Albert Pujols first started. Whenever he made his debut, what Mm -hmm. everyone else's ages were. And it is remarkable. I mean, some of them are months old, you know? incredible. So tonight, you've got... Clayton Kershaw against Shane McClanahan of the Rays. And the pregame comes your way at 6 here on 101 ESPN. And here are the lineups for tonight's game. The American League will have Shohei Otani DHing and leading off. And I hope at some point in the game we get to see him pitch too. I, I would be disappointed if we didn't. I read that he didn't want to. Um, and I'm hoping that mm-hmm. that is reconsidered. Yeah, because, every again, the exposure to the entire country, I, I hope that... 
some people who might not have gotten a chance to see Shohei Otani do what he can do, both pitching and hitting, gets that experience tonight. Tony LaRusso would put people like Chris Duncan or Larry Walker in the second spot in the order, order and say, I like danger in the two-hole. I'd like to have Aaron Judge in the two-hole. We'll love that. That's that's big-time danger. <laughs> so it's Otani, Judge, and Rafael Devers, and then Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hitting uh, fourth for the, the American League. Giancarlo Stanton's uh, fifth. Brian Buxton is hitting sixth. Tim Anderson is their shortstop hitting seventh. Uh, Jimenez from Cleveland is hitting eighth. And then Christian Kirk, the Alejandro Kirk, rather, the catcher from the Blue Jays, is hitting ninth. For the National League, it's Ronald Acuna Jr. leading off playing in left field. Oh, no, he's playing right tonight. Mookie Betts is in center field, hitting second. Machado hitting third and playing third. Goldie is the first baseman, and he's the National League's cleanup hitter. Which is great. Go, Goldie. Yeah, your MVP should probably hit fourth for you. Probably. And then uh, Turner hits uh, fifth. Uh, Wilson Contreras hits sixth. William Contreras hits seventh. Jock Peterson hits eighth. Kind of looks like the uh, Braves lineup from last fall. And then uh, Jeff McNeil, the Mets second baseman, will hit ninth and play second base. So those are your lineups for tonight. And starting pitching, Randy, let's have a little convo about that. Should Clayton Kershaw be the starting pitcher for the National League? If it is the all-star game and you're playing it at Dodger Stadium, I have no problem with Clayton Kershaw coming out to throw the first pitch. I would love Sandy Alcantara to get that honor. He is going to be a star for a long time, and he'll get that honor as he goes along. But it's different coming out of the bullpen because nobody on TV, in the national TV audience, unless you're Mariano Rivera, sees you coming out of the bullpen. And so with a situation like this, because of where the game is, and because we can make an argument, a fair argument, reasonable argument, that Clayton Kershaw is the best starting pitcher in the history of the game. You can make that argument. He's certainly in the top five. And because of what his body of work is that made him a star, I don't have any problem. There's no doubt that both Gonsolin and Alcantara have been better pitchers over the course of the first half of the season. But I would argue that if you put each of them in a commercial without their name in a font at the bottom, a lot more people would know Clayton Kershaw because he's a star. But that's why I would love for Sandy Alcantara to get this honor because this is about exposing the stars, the best oh. stars this season. Yeah, he's going to pitch. Oh, I know, but I would just love for him to get the honor to do it mm-hmm. first because he's had arguably the best season. And I just think that that... That really solidifies what he's been this year and tells other people in baseball who are other fans, maybe, who may not have been paying attention, this is somebody you need to keep an eye on. And by the way, in 2013, at City Field, Matt Harvey got the start when Kershaw was having a much better season because baseball wanted to have the dark night on yeah, the mound at City totally. Field. It's just the way... It works, unfortunately, for some people, like Alcantara and, and Gonsolin, really. Yeah. I mean, Gonsolin can walk into his own locker room and say, what What are you talking about? Totally. Absolutely. <laughs> That's one of my frustrations with this is that they do the pomp and circumstance and they, they play to the storylines in the crowd when mm-hmm. I think it should be whoever is, is the best that season should go first. You will hear the All-Star Game tonight, 6 o'clock with the pregame here on 101 ESPN. Meanwhile, Major League Baseball's draft continued. The Cardinals took seven pitchers among their ten selections over the first couple of days. One of the position players, Michelle was Jimmy Crooks, a fourth-round pick out of the University of Oklahoma, 6'1", 210-pound left-handed hitting catcher, fitting that after having Mike Leake on their roster for a few years, now they have Jimmy Crooks. Um, well, you know, Mike Lee did steal a few years from the Cardinals, you know. <laughs> that's, that's what he did. Um, 
Crooks is a great a great baseball name, though, isn't it? It really is. And, and yeah, a left-handed hitting catcher. Yeah, Crooks behind the plate. Oh, I love definitely, it. I think definitely. it's a great name. And the Cubs took right-hander Mason McGuire, the son of Mark, in the eighth round. I, I texted Mark, and I said, man, have fun. If he signs, this is going to be great. Mark texted right back. He said, oh, he's going to sign. He can't wait to get started. So Mason McGuire will find himself in the Cubs organization, and he'll be pitching around here. Well, not right around here, but he'll pitch at Iowa in AAA and he'll be in the Quad Cities. That's our high A team. So uh, we can have a three or four hour drive to go see Mark McGuire's son. And then eventually he's going to wind up with the Cubs. You know, I was thinking about this when you texted me last night. How good would that be for the Cardinals-Cubs rivalry if Mark McGuire's son ends up becoming a Cardinal killer? Wow. That would be awesome for the rivalry. And, you know, the Cardinals Cubs rivalry, it's it's been very like uh big brother, little brother. Even when yeah. the Cubs won the World Series, it was like, well, they haven't won in 108 years. Like, let them win one, celebrate. We need some vitriol injected back into this rivalry. And I think having uh, a beloved Cardinal legend, mm-hmm. having their son be drafted by the Cubs and then go on to be a Cardinal killer. Not that I want anything bad to happen to the Cardinals, you know, but mm-hmm. I just think from the rivalry sake that that would be a, a little log on the fire. Yeah, and I wonder how much information the Cardinals had on Mason McGuire. Uh, obviously, the Cubs had information on him. Other, He got taken in the eighth round. I, I wonder how much the Cardinals liked him, because it just would have seemed unnatural for the Cardinals to, if they had information and liked the guy, and they had a pretty good source for information, I would think. In, I, in I, would, Mar- I, in I would think they have a direct line. <laughs> yeah, so I, 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 it would be interesting to know what the Cardinals thought of Mason McGuire and Man, if he makes it to the majors and he's good for the Cubs, that is, that's a great look for Dan Kantrovitz, the former Cardinal scout who is the scouting director now for the Cubs. But you can, it's kind of like Fernando Tatis Jr. You can't have more information than the Cardinals had on Fernando Tatis Jr. Can you imagine if the Cardinals, what do they see him, 18 times, 19 yeah, times, yeah. and they pass on Fernando Tatis Jr. And then let's say word comes out or something that uh, Mark really wanted his son to play for the Cardinals, just like mm-hmm. Fernando Tatis wanted his son to play for the Cardinals, and they passed on him, and he ends up being a stud. Can you imagine if that happens with not one but two former Cardinals children? I don't want to. See, I don't want to see. Well, I, you know what? I want to see Mason McGuire succeed, though. This is a diff, it's a conundrum. It really is. <laughs> Maybe we want him to succeed and be yeah. great, but the rest of the team's terrible. You know? Yeah. Okay. I'm. I'm good with that. And then after six years, then the Cardinals can say, "Hey, we need to bring you home." Yeah. Once he gets all the seasoning. Yeah. Hopefully they don't pass on him like Max Scherzer. Oh yeah, that wouldn't be great either. We're missing out on a lot of guys that we should know a lot about. And that like really want to be here. (laughs) That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, Jeff Passan had an interesting article at ESPN.com. We talked about him yesterday, to him yesterday. But uh, the question for us and for you today, is the starting pitcher in baseball dead? And is that a bad thing? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, yesterday we talked to ESPN.com's Jeff Passan about the changes in starting pitching. And Michelle, when I was a kid, and even when you were a kid, we looked forward to pitching pairings. People would actually buy tickets to see an opposing pitcher come into town. And the Cardinals would put 40,000 fans in the stands because they had an opportunity to see 
Tom Seaver against Joaquin Andujar. They had an opportunity to see Fernando Valenzuela against Bob Force. You, you really wanted to see the other team's pitcher, and you knew that you were going to see him for six or seven innings. Now, guys are out before their third trip through, and there's only a couple of pitchers, I think, Alcantara being one of them, and Scherzer being the other, in the National League where you say, okay, I really want to go watch that guy pitch. There aren't a lot of pitchers. I guess Kershaw would be in that boat, too. But there aren't a lot of pitchers around where you say, okay, I want to buy tickets to watch this guy pitch. Yeah, maybe if he was healthy, Jack Flaherty would be in that mm-hmm. conversation because he was young, dynamic, and had a historic second half a few years ago. I think Adam Wainwright might be in that conversation just because he's nearing the end of his career and he's been such a legend. But you're right, there's not many guys that people are going to buy a ticket for. And really, outside of Cardinals fans, how many people are saying, I need to see Adam Wainwright mm-hmm. pitch? Yeah. Maybe they're saying, I need to buy a ticket to see Albert Pujols in his farewell tour. But I don't know if a Pirates fan is saying, I need to make it down to St. Louis to see Adam Wainwright the way that we we might think about that. But I think that this is one of the problems with baseball is when I think about the promotion that surrounds an NFL game, it's, it's Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. Now, clearly those two don't actually face one another mm-hmm. on the field. They're not on the field at the same time, but it's billed as this star versus this star. And you know that you're going to see those two stars both compete for the entirety of the game. In the NBA, it's LeBron versus Steph. And you know that you're going to see those two stars compete against one another for the entirety of the game. I think this is part of the leaking of star power in baseball is that you're not seeing these star pitchers really play that long in the game. And that that's a problem for the product. And the operative word there is stars because even if we see Corbin Burns against Adam Wainwright, we're going to see Burns for six, and then we're going to see Boxberger, and then we're going to see Williams, and then we're going to see Josh Hader. And for the Cardinals, Wayno, he goes seven a lot, but probably six, and then you're going to see their collection of relievers. And it's not going to be like it was back in the day 10 years ago when we saw Roy Halladay for the Phillies and Chris Carpenter for the Cardinals in a playoff game, and we knew what was going to happen. And Chris Carpenter, I helped induct him into the St. Louis Sports Hall of Fame. And we are going to have epic thoughts and memories like he has of that game. One was the bus ride the night before. Um, I remember sitting on the bus with Nick Punto and Gerald Laird and a couple other guys talking about, um, if you just give me a couple runs, I'm telling you we're going to win. Just give me a couple runs and we'll be okay. Um, and they all looked at me like I was crazy, but I, I truly believe that. And uh, the second one was, uh, I've told this story many times, is that Philly was loud. I mean, they were super loud. I noticed in the first inning, though, like every out, I'd get an out and the, the decibels would come down. I'd get an out, the decibels would come down. And at the end of the, th- like you get the third out and it was quiet. And then I go running back out on the mound in the second and the same thing, they're going crazy, waving their towels. I'd get an out and it, 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 the, the volume would go down. So I started playing a game. To, I was paying attention to the, to the volume of the stands. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. And then the, the last one was in the ninth inning. Uh, I was sitting there getting ready at the, at the uh, bat rack and Mike Eldretti, who was... Uh, a coach of ours was standing there, and I mean, he was pacing around, and he didn't know what to do with himself. He, he was panicking. And I just looked at him, and I patted him on the shoulder, and I was like, Aldo, that was his nickname, was Aldo. I was like, Aldo, we're okay. I was like, we got it. I was like, I promise we got it. He's like, he looked at me again, looked at me crazy. I'm like, no, we're good. Just relax, man. Just relax. We've got it. And he's like, all right, Carvin. And I, off I went and, and finished the game. 
Okay, that gave me goosebumps listening to that. I love the insight from what is one of the most fierce competitors we will ever see. And this is a guy who sweat through multiple jerseys because he would get so much anxiety before a big game. And here's arguably one of the biggest moments of his career, probably one of the biggest moments of his career, if not the biggest moment. And he's telling everyone else to relax. Mm-hmm. And he's listening to the volume in the stands. And he's <laughs> playing a little game with himself. He says it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I had, I can't tell you the anxiety I had watching that game. That's one of those I'll never forget where. I was moment sitting on the edge of the couch feeling like you wanted to throw up but also having the time of your life type games and it's all because it really rests on the shoulders of one guy and to his point he knew that if he told his teammates get me a couple runs I'll handle the rest but how many pitchers can really say that to their teammates these days because they don't know how much time they're going to have Adam Wainwright can put the team in a position to succeed but then it's up to the bullpen to take care of business I would argue that there's only one pitcher in baseball right Right now, that could go to one of the coaches before the ninth inning, pat him on the shoulder and say, hey, we're good. We're good. And that'd be Scherzer. I think that's the only guy in baseball that could do that right now. And they they would probably leave him in, too. You're not going to take out Max Scherzer. Right. And what we're talking about is something, we talked to Bob Costas on opening day, about the, the charm of the pitching pairing and how that's being lost. I think the state of baseball for fans and as an entertainment product revolves around what happens on the field. The overall strikeout rate in baseball is roughly equal to Nolan Ryan's career strikeout rate. (laughs) Now, when Nolan Ryan or Bob Gibson or Sandy Koufax or Randy Johnson did it, that was, hey, wait a minute, stop everything. I want to watch this. Look at the probable pitchers in the paper. Wow, Randy Johnson, let's watch this. But when five pitchers combined to strike out 16 hitters, people don't even notice it, except when they're yawning because there's no action in the game. And that to me is the biggest thing. And I know this sounds, it's because I am old and I watched baseball when it was at its best. And it won't be, I know because of analytics, it won't be better than it was in the 80s and early 90s. But I also think there's a place for people to go a little old school and allow your pitchers to go seven or eight innings like Sandy Alcantara does on a regular basis Mm -hmm. and build those people back up to being stars again. But, okay, so Adam Wainwright, we know in recent years, has had a complete game. There's a couple guys who have gone the distance. But most of them are assuming, when they're thinking about the game Mm -hmm. and they're mentally preparing, they know that that's not what's going to happen. Adam Wainwright is a a guy who constantly says, abuse me, I'm I'm Mm -hmm. the old guy, Let, let, let me throw as many innings as possible. But I think these young guys aren't, they're not pitching that way through the system. You know, they're not yep. guys that have been used to going this many innings. And how many times are young guys getting injured? And I mean, Jack Flaherty is a, gr- a great example. Michael Walker is a great example. How many times have we had who's going to be the next Adam Wainwright be somebody that gets injured? And they they're somebody that we would we would throw a fit if if somebody had them in that long because we're worried about their their um, health and. They're getting hurt being babied more and throwing fewer pitchers than they ever have in the past. Exactly. And 10 years ago, when the Cardinals played the Rangers in the World Series, Nolan Ryan was the president of the Rangers at the time. He tried to enact what we're talking about in the Rangers minor league system, trying to get pitchers to throw more pitches and go longer into games like he did. And his analytics people and the pitchers' agents all went nuts. Yes. And they stopped it in a blink, and he was fired soon after because analytics people don't want to see a pitcher go through the the lineup a third time. And agents do think 
wrongly, I believe, that throwing fewer pitches is going to protect their pitcher's health. Yeah, because they're trying to protect their assets right. and yeah. ultimately their paycheck. But I think the the money quote for me from that Bob Costas bite we didn't get to hear, um, but at the end of it, Randy, I think you remember when we spoke to Bob, he said the fact that if a World Series is won and when the confetti is falling, the starting pitcher isn't part of that snapshot is a problem for baseball. Yeah. He's like, can you imagine if the Patriots won the Super Bowl and Tom Brady wasn't on the field for the final two minutes? And I thought that was such a good point mm-hmm. when it comes to star power and baseball and how the starting pitcher and the star value around a starting pitcher has been diminished. Because when we think about the greatest moments, the starting pitcher might not even be involved in the photo of the greatest moment. Yeah, it's it's a problem for baseball. And Jeff Passan thinks that a guy like Carpenter isn't going to be around anymore. And I think that that's going to be a problem advocate for a guy who goes out and gives his all and has nothing left and can't recover it. I never want to see a situation like that, but uh, a a one nothing game between two aces, uh, I don't think we would be given that gift anymore, uh, except in the most extreme outlier of scenarios. And I think baseball is worse off for it. And I listen, I get the perspective that people have that games evolve, that things change. But for a sport like baseball, that frankly doesn't have all that many stars to uh, to take out your guy before the most important innings of the game. Like what other sport aside from baseball do you have the person who's supposed to be the, the star of the game, the center of the game, the person who's not just commanding but creating the action with every pitch he throws, not in at the very end. And Michelle, I want to give this statistic because I gave it at the beginning of the interview with Jeff Pass, but I want to give it one more time because – Fernando Valenzuela, and it was 1981, completely different era. But Fernando Valenzuela came up at 20, little portly left-hander for the Dodgers. And everywhere he went, the games were sold out. His first eight major league starts were all complete games, and five of them were shutouts. And nobody will ever be allowed to do that ever again. No, and how much fun was that? It was awesome. I mean, and... Jeff Passan described it perfectly. It's a gift that we won't yeah. be given again. He says, unless it's in the most extreme outlier of situations. Well, if Blake Snell in a closing game of a World Series is taken out because of analytics, we're not going to see it again. We're not going to see it again. There's not going to be a, a more extreme outlier situation than that. No. The only outlier that I could see happening is Buck Showalter, who's old school. Allowing a guy like Scherzer, I don't even think he'd allow Degrom. I don't think I don't know if the organization would allow Degrom, with his injury history, to to be that guy. I don't know where else you would go with the injury history of the Braves guys, with the youth of the Astros guys for Dusty. I don't know another old school place or manager who's going to have that pitcher in place to try that. I could, I mean. Only because we're here locally. If it was in a World Series type situation and it was Ollie and Adam Wainwright in a closing game and Wayno still had it, I think that they might give him the runway to do it. I hope so. I hope so, too, because I trust him in that situation deep into games more than I do a lot of bullpen pitchers. I I would have been more inclined to believe that could happen with Mike Schilt as manager than Ollie Marmol. But if it's a World Series... If it's a maybe, World maybe he's going to not answer the bat phone that the front office is calling. <laughs> maybe. Do you know what I but mean? They, they maybe. are, are going to have their 2 o'clock meeting with the analytics guys and but, say, okay. But if they win, <laughs> if they win. Right, right.
I don't know, but I think if you're ever going to ignore the call from the front office saying, take mm-hmm. him out, it's been too long. Because Adam Wainwright's the type of guy that he knows if he's got it right. or not. He truly oh. does. And if he yeah. goes to Ali and he's like, it's the World Series, keep me in for the distance, I got this. How are you in that moment going to ignore Adam Wainwright and the person that's in front of you saying, I got it, and go with the yeah. analytics? There will only be like a dozen, maybe, well, maybe more than that, 30 people in the whole ballpark that don't agree with Adam. And that wouldn't include the 47,500 in the stands. It'd be all the guys up in the analytics box. Well, you know what? Let let them squirm <laughs> because I'm trusting number 50. <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Jordan Walker has been named the number seven prospect in all of baseball, but somebody apparently thinks he's the best. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Okay, we've been talking about great athletes and what they do to sustain themselves. And during the break, I suggested that uh, Michelle was right there with some of the great athletes of all time. Lawrence Taylor with his ability to rush the passer in the fourth quarter. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly with his ability to play in the third period of Game 7. Uh, certainly a guy like Michael Jordan playing with the flu and playing at the end of games in the in the finals like he did. And then I had to throw Michelle in there because Michelle is able to complete half marathons and do the final mile of half marathons. And then we talked about Michael Phelps because I think Michelle Michael Phelps has to be in this conversation as well. Absolutely. And then we started talking about what fuels Michael Phelps and the 12,000 calorie a day diet that he has to do in order to be able to have the energy and the power to train and compete in the way that he does. And Randy suggested that he might be able to eat that. Well, I said back in my 20s, once I thought about it. Can I read to you what Michael Phelps eats in a day? I'm going to be 60 next month, so I might only have to do 4,000 calories. Let's go. Okay. Here's his breakfast. Three fried egg sandwiches with, with cheese, lettuce, tomatoes, fried onions, and mayo. I'd throw the onions out. Okay. Two cups of coffee. Yeah. Water. One five egg omelet. Delicious. One bowl of porridge. Don't know what porridge is, but I'll try it. Three slices of sugar-coated French toast. Can't wait. Three chocolate chip pancakes. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> Moving on to lunch, we have a half a pound of pasta. Mm-hmm. Two large ham and cheese sandwiches with mayo on white bread. I wonder if I could go with turkey rather than ham. Probably. Okay. Energy drinks that supplied him with another thousand calories. Okay. Okay. For dinner, another the other half of the pound of pasta, an entire pizza, and more energy drinks. Isn't there a thing how you shouldn't eat a lot before you go swimming? <laughs> Probably yes, I've heard that back in the day. You, you cramp, yeah. you could cramp and die. You'll drown. He didn't. He didn't. But he that debunked. is a lot. Yeah, that's called debunking a myth. That is a lot of food. I couldn't do it now. I remember watching uh, a piece on him once, and he was talking about how his entire day is revolved around the schedule of training and eating. That it's just mm-hmm. this nonstop. In input and output of I'm going to shove all this food in my mouth. I'm going to train. It's this output of calories and how how exhausting it was. It's, it's literally and, and limiting it yeah, was playing for the tie. Yeah, seriously. But when you think about it, if you have to focus, I know a lot of guys in the NFL too. When they're focused mm-hmm. on gaining weight, it's their entire day. Yeah, they can't do anything other no. than eat and work out all day long. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, I really had to work hard to gain weight. Great. Good yeah, I feel so badly for yeah. you. Michelle Jim Bowden <laughs> was at the MLB Futures game in LA on Saturday, and he listed his top ten position players that he saw in the game. And number one 
was Jordan Walker. Allow me to read to you what Jim Bowden wrote about the Cardinals' number one prospect. And a guy Baseball America has is the number seven prospect in baseball. Bowden writes... An incredible athlete for his size at 6'5 and 220, Walker has few holes at the plate, which is difficult for a young player with a large frame. He was electric in batting practice, hitting bomb after bomb and profiles to develop into a 30 to 40 home run hitter. Walker, 20 years old, also looks like a 300 hitter who could become a 400 on base percentage standout. He's so talented, he can play third base, first base, right field, or left field, wherever the Cardinals have a need. Don't be surprised if Walker makes it to the St. to St. Louis this season. If not, he'll be there on opening day next year, and I, Jim Bowden, predict he will be the National League Rookie of the Year in 2023. Sounds great. Can't wait. So now that you read that, and it's only Jim Bowden, I mean, he's a former general manager for a reason, but... <laughs> The shade at Jim. No, it's not shade. It's just a fact. <laughs> I mean, he's heaving praise on a Cardinals prospect, yeah. and then we're just shading him. Randy's sunshine and lollipops are so bright right now that he's trying to just tamp it down a little bit. But I, I tell you this. In reading not just his words, but in reading universally about Jordan Walker, if I'm the Cardinals, I would have great difficulty in putting him in a trade for Soto, knowing that the Cardinals, literally, the Cardinals are only going to have Juan Soto. If they would get him, he would only be here two and a half years and then he's gone. Oh, for sure. There's no way that the Cardinals sign Juan Soto for half a billion dollars. If he he turned down a $400 plus million contract, he's thinking he's going to get more than that and the Cardinals are not the team to give it to him. And let me tell you this, and I know this is totally Homer, H-O-M-E-R, but give me Walker at third down the road. Okay. And Gorman at second, or Walker in left and Gorman at second over one Juan Soto. Give me two 30 home run guys over one 30 home run guy. Give me one 30 home run guy that's cost controlled and I know I'm going to yeah. have for a while. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so it would be very difficult. First of all, I think it would be impossible for the Cardinals to have to move Jordan Walker. Could you imagine? No, Think they, about they this. Won't. Think about this. In 2020, if he does indeed come up next year, 2024, 2025, 2026, health permitting, you could have a middle of the lineup, and Goldie's contract will be up, but you could have a middle of the lineup that includes Gorman, Walker, Arenado, and Carlson. Maybe hit Carlson second and Walker third and Arenado fourth, or maybe Nolan's falling off a little bit, and you go Carlson, Gorman, Walker, Arenado. You could have a middle of the lineup of four real potential young studs. I know, but Randy, at some point, this is musical chair. Somebody's going to be left without a seat. I think it's going to be Goldie. Really? He's got two years left on the contract, and you don't sign him at 35. The Cardinals might. I don't think the Cardinals are going to sign him at 35. Not to be an everyday player. Mm -hmm. Because I... If you look down the road, okay, so we, we talked yesterday. Gorman's a third baseman. We haven't even brought up Nunez yet. There, Malcolm Nunez was their minor league player of the month last month. He's a stud, and he's like 21 years old also. Plus Walker, plus Alec Burleson, plus Bader and and Carlson out there. There's just, there are going to be too, it is going to be musical chairs. There's going to be too many players for positions. Exactly. What about your 34 home run guy who's also won a a gold glove in left field, Tyler O'Neill? Where's Tyler O'Neill in this equation? 
That's a great question. I don't know Thank what you. city. Do I get it on the board? Yeah, it is. Oh, what city will he be in? <laughs> but my whole point is, if you were to go out and acquire, let's say, a top flight pitcher. A or top per- flight pitcher. Oh, thank you, Randy. Or perhaps a Juan Soto, which mm-hmm. I know is not likely in this scenario, but let's just use it for a conversation sure. point. If you say, no, you can't have Jordan Walker, he's our one untouchable. You still have so many other assets. Your your cupboard is brimming with goods. At some point, you need to get some of that out before it expires. Agree you can't 100%. just keep it in the cupboard forever. No. And Walker can play anywhere. Carlson has to be here. Is Nolan Bader Gordon? expendable for you? Because Carlson has shown he can play a great yes. center field. Yes. Randy, they yeah. win like 75% of the games when he's on the field. Yeah. <laughs> But think about but that. Still, yeah. Here's a guy who is not only an elite defender, he is a gold glove winner, arguably mm-hmm. the best defensive center fielder in the game, and we're talking about him being expendable. Right. But, but Dylan Carlson, he's a switch hitter. He's proven that he can play multiple positions. He's an ascending young player. He's the won't pry him out of my cold dead hands guy yeah. from John Mosell. Tyler O'Neill again, 34 home runs, a gold glover, a, a guy that you saw down the stretch last year be able to really put a team on his back. At some point, there's not going to be enough right. room for all these guys when when the Alec Burlsons and and the Jordan Walkers are coming up. You, you're going to have to figure out how you can maximize the assets that you have to really put yourself in a position to win. Now, it's a good problem to have. It is, but I really hope that that they go out and they at some point, and I know that we don't want another Sandy Alcantara on our hands, Mm -hmm. but if you think that this team is good enough to win, you need to fortify it now. And the best thing that could happen to the Cardinals is what happened last year down the stretch when Bader and O'Neill both played all of August and all of September. And then you need to be able to get to an offseason where you can tell another team, look, they played the last 60 games. Right. Yeah, because you need to strike while their value is high. And both of them have been hurt for the better part of two years. Yep. And you just have to predict that they're going to be hurt. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up next, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Text in now to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for Take It or Leave It. Michelle, our friend Dennis Dodd reporting that the new Big Ten TV deal, apparently with Fox, is going to be worth 80 to $100 million per program. He writes this because Notre Dame says to sources, they will remain independent if they can earn at least $75 million annually in media rights revenue from NBC. So to be 80 to 100 in the Big Ten, 75 to remain independent. Take it or leave it, Notre Dame should just go to the Big Ten. Take it. Why uh, not? 100% take it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I know that Notre Dame has a different level of... Uh, Obviously, a different level of notoriety, but they also are—they've—they've ju- they've just got more integrity, I guess, a different level of integrity than the rest of college football. At least they perceive themselves to have that. But it still, still should all be about money. 
I actually appreciate that for once in college athletics, it's not all about yeah. the money and that there's something, whether it's the clout of being an independent or the fact that they want to hold out until they possibly uh, can maybe maximize more money from one of these conferences. I don't really know what it is, but the fact that they're not willing to just jump ship whenever the check is bigger, I think is kind of admirable yeah, because I, every other I program agree. can't wait to take the money. Yeah, I, Michelle, I'm with you there. Michelle, try to give them the benefit of the doubt in the beginning of her answer. By the end of your answer, you got to what it actually is, which is just hold on a little bit longer. We got the brand and it's going to be worth more money if we just keep waiting. No, I mean, that's not what I was getting at. I was just saying ma- ma- maybe they will, but I just think that it's kind of refreshing to have a program that isn't just all about the money. And I, granted, they, they want their money. Don't have, yeah. They're not crying poor over here, but... Um, no. It's just kind of like the antithesis of what college athletics is no, right now. I, I I do appreciate what they're doing. I, I I have a lot of respect for it because if they go to the Big Ten, they don't even have to try as hard. They could enhance their profit margin dramatically. Big they, time. They have to be good to be on NBC and get the money. Listen, I'm from the state of Illinois. I went to Illinois. Illinois and Northwestern are both in the state of Illinois. Notre Dame would own the state of Illinois. They would own Chicago. They yeah. they they have a huge footprint in Chicago because they're so close and there's a ton of alums there. If they went to the Big Ten, I could totally <laughs> see see them owning Illinois, and that yeah. would be a huge problem for me. Yeah, I don't want them to come to the Big Ten. It makes so much sense from (laughs) a geography standpoint, from an academic standpoint, from a branding standpoint. But, hey, hold out as long as you can. Yeah. Why not? Okay, so you may have seen last night, Randy, my number one pick in our uh, home run derby draft, Pete Alonzo. Mm -hmm, Yeah. In between rounds, my man was meditating. He was doing deadlifts in full uniform. And uh, he was really... uh, putting on a show. He was leaning into the role. Oh, he's a big, strong guy. He's a big, strong guy. He could put somebody in the hospital if he wants to, right? And uh, he's somebody who's known to go out there and protect his guys. But I saw a lot of commentary on Pete Alonso last night that was not favorable. A lot of people um, suggested he might be kind of a tool, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Take it or leave it. Pete Alonso is the number one villain in baseball right now. That's a great one. And I'm going to have to take that. Yes. Now, this is obviously localized, but because of the actions like you see last night, because he's playing for a big market team. Exactly. I would say that, yeah, he fits that mold perfectly. And he's a guy that you could totally hate, but could absolutely hurt you. Yeah. You know, he's a, a guy who could yep. step into the box and smash a homer and send the opposition home crying. I think he's the perfect villain for baseball. I agree with you. And I think that's a good thing. I think for the Mets to be hateable is a good thing. Yes. And they will be under Steve Cohen. They will be. All right, Matthew, what do you got on the text line? That was the biggest try-hard move I'd ever seen in my entire life <laughs> yesterday. That was so dorky from Pete Alonzo. I'm not uh, surprised. And to uh, that I'll, point. I'll, I will see you one Pete Alonzo and raise you one Terrell Owens on his driveway. That's a fair point. <laughs> also a lot more prima donna-ish. Oh, are we are we talking about doing it for the the clout yeah. and the gram? Alonzo yeah. doesn't. Can I can I bring to the table JJ Watt? Can I um, also yeah, raise strong. you one Russell Wilson? Ooh, Mister corny. Oh, who's cornier? Who's cornier, Russell Wilson or Pete Alonzo? That's tough. Russell. That's a that's a Mount Rushmore to beginning though. Take it or leave it. Pete Alonzo tells kids that Santa isn't real. Santa is real, kids. Santa is real. I don't know why Pete Alonzo would come up with something like that. Because he's a liar. Yeah, why would he do that? I'm going to leave it because I I don't think that Pete would mess with the kids. Oh, I'm taking that. Absolutely. I would hope he wouldn't mess with the kids. He's a baseball player, for gosh sakes. Who would lie to a kid's face like that? 
Pete Alonso. Uh, take it or leave it, one of the Cardinals' current starting nine is not in the lineup on opening day next year, and that spot is either taken by Yepes or Jordan Walker. Take it. Walker's going to take a spot. Yeah, so he is. I'll take it, too. Yeah, I'm with Bowden. And I'm going to uh, go with number 27. Oh. Oh. Took me a second. Yep. This isn't hockey, so I'm not as locked in on the numbers. Okay. I'm with you, but where does he go? What's his value right now? We'll have to figure that out. I still think if he comes back and has a good second half, I still think he'll have really strong value. I agree. But the problem is, is that he's, as we've mentioned, he, he's too muscular. And you know what else I was thinking about? Dog, I was, uh, come on, get a burger, some fries. It all, it's all going to be okay. But you know what I was thinking about last night? Because I was thinking about... You know, if I was Mo and I was trying to acquire a big piece and, you know, let's say I wanted to throw a Jack Flaherty in or a Tyler O'Neill in. And, of course, the argument back is going to be they're injured a lot. Okay, right now you have a unique position because of the lockout. If you're Mo and and someone's saying they're injured, Mm -hmm. you're, you're saying, well, historically they wouldn't have been injured, but we didn't have access to them because of the lockout. Our medical staff couldn't treat them in the manner in which they should. This is an outlier of a season. <laughs> Normally, both of them would be totally healthy. You're 100% right. Don't you think yep, that be- we forget point. about the lockout yeah. and we forget about the fact that these guys didn't have access to the regular trainers, to the regular medical staff, and therefore it could have caused what might have been a small injury to become a bigger injury, and therefore they're missing time. You're never going to have, and whether that's true or not is, is not for me to say, but you're never going to have that built-in asterisk if you're talking about a player player with an injury history like you do this season. Take it or leave it, O'Neal would be a good start to a return for Frankie Montas. I will take that. I think he'd be a good athletic. He has, let me get his time left before free agency. Um, So his, this year was his first year arbitration eligible. So he has two years left before free agency after this year. He'd look good in that yellow jersey. Who doesn't? It's a great yeah, jersey. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going with that, too. Actually, you, it, you have to try hard to not look good in that jersey. That's true. You do. All right. So we've got a start of a deal here. We can work on this. Shouldn't trade guys on the on the radio, but we just did. No, we're just speculating. Yeah, just throwing it out there. You're not supposed to trade people on the radio? Not really. All right, fine. They're listening. <sighs> We're not decision makers. We, 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 tell, we, tell, we tell everybody we don't have a direct line to Mo. We we're, not getting that, we're not getting those checks. You've, you've got a direct line to Mo right now, buddy. <laughs> 314, the Cardinals should let the injury-prone Jack Flaherty walk in free agents. Yeah, in a couple of years. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, what, what else are you going to do? Right. So maybe even if he's hurt again next year, maybe even do what you did with Reyes and just keep bringing him back. And, until you can get something out of him? Yeah, see if you can get something out of him. Yeah, I would love that. I would love to eventually see him healthy and have a year like Alex Reyes did last year. Chris Carpenter was on the shelf for three years with a shoulder injury. Mm-hmm. 2001, 2002, 2003, before turning it on in 2004. Uh, Roger Clemens was on the shelf for a year and a half with a shoulder injury. Somebody, Oh, Mark Appel, who just got called up by the Philadelphia Phillies. Six years with a shoulder injury. But now he's back in the major leagues. You know, and that's one of those things, too. We talk about that's that is a position I don't want to be in if I'm John Mosellock because 
if you hang on to him and he's injured, people are going to say, you should have moved him. Mm-hmm. No, Because fans already think that he doesn't want to be here. I'm, I'm of the opinion that he's never said anything publicly otherwise, other than that he wants to bet on himself, yeah. which I'm not going to hold against him. But... Fans will have said he never wanted to be here. You should have moved him before he was injured. Or if they move him and he gets healthy and he has a lot of success elsewhere, it's going to be another. How did you not hang on to this guy? Look at that se- historic second half he had. You know, it's a no-win situation for the front office if it doesn't work out. This has a name. It's called the MARP syndrome. Oh, big Matty Mustache syndrome. Yep. The yeah. the old MMF. Yeah, no doubt about it. I call that the Jeff Albert syndrome. The Jeff Albert syndrome. You know but that doesn't apply to Jack Flaherty. So, so, somebody tweeted me today. You, you realize that there are five teams in Major League Baseball that have scored more runs than the Cardinals? No, that's impressive. No. And, I, and I asked this person, respectfully, by the way, it was just a conversation. There was no animus in the conversation. But I pointed out that it, it because I said last week on this show, I said, you got to shoot a hostage. And that's the name I threw out, right? <laughs> but at the same time, so like when Dil- Dylan Carlson succeeds or Tommy Edmond succeeds, or Tyler O'Neill has the second half that he had last year. Who do I give credit to? If if we were in a hostage situation, do you think you'd be a good negotiator? Me? Yeah. <laughs> no. I don't think you would either, Randy, because uh-uh. you have blackout rage. I'd be a little bit impatient, and I would just say fire with impunity. Randy! <laughs> uh, Randy, that is a civilian uh, we have the sights yeah. on. I mean, the yeah. guy's back there somewhere yeah. to start I, shooting. I, I, let's end this now. I got, I'm tired. Let's end this now. <laughs> I think I would finesse it a little better than you. I think you would too. I'm like, come on, relax. Let's talk about this. Just put it down. Let's go grab a cocktail. I'm sure we can come to a resolution. You'd be really good. Isn't there a movie called The Negotiator? I think so. Uh, and I don't know if they come out on top. Yeah, not. Randy would be like, just shoot. <laughs> let's, get, let's get out of here. Yeah, yeah, come on. We're wasting time come and money, on, the game people. game starts at 7.15. You take out <laughs> enough bodies. This is ridiculous. One of them's got to be the guy, right? Yep. yep. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. <laughs> Coming up next, with the departure of David Perron and the signing of Nick Letty, what is the Blues' identity heading into 2022-2023? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnucks. Download the Schnucks Rewards app today. 808 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The St. Louis Blues were third in scoring in the NHL last season with 3.77 per game. And obviously they lost a big-time offensive performer with the departure of David Perron. So you wonder about the identity of this team. And before Perron left, Craig Berube talked about what the Blues would look like next season. Again, we're talking about goals are up this year. You know, I think that we can still be better. We can check better. You know, that's, uh, you know, I'd like to see our goals come down a little bit. Um, I thought the penalty kill was excellent this year. But uh, five on five, I'd like to see our goals come down a little bit. That'd be one area of improvement. I look at the whole year and, you know, you have some ups and downs. Yeah, would I like the ups and downs to be a little bit less? You know, I'd like a little more consistency. You know, night in and night out, this is what we're getting. This is what we're getting. This is what we're getting. I know it's boring. It's probably boring for players, but you win more. We had 109 points. We probably could have 
probably could have 116. That's a hell of a year. It's a hell of a year anyhow. But consistency and, and you know, I think that we can get our goals against down a little bit. I mean, we got to continue to score goals. We had 920 goal scorers this year, which was phenomenal. <clears throat> we might not have that next year. Who knows? But we got to continue to, you know, score. And, you know, that's part of the game, right? So... It sounds to me like what Craig Bruby wants, Michelle, is a greater commitment defensively. The Blues were 11th in the league in goals against while being third in goals. And he pretty much said, we got to get those goals against down. He did say that out, mm-hmm. outright, right? And if you're looking for one singular reason why David Broad isn't here anymore and why Nick Letty is, that's it. Because they're investing more in the defense. Mm-hmm. And Nick Letty came to this team and it felt like he had been here forever. He integrated very quickly. And I think that he has good chemistry with Colton Pareko, which is very important. And I understand why they wanted to make the commitment to Nick Letty. And... Losing David Perron is a big piece for many reasons, but you still have 80, 20-plus goal scorers on your team. You know, it's not like you're losing one singular Mm -hmm. player and you have all of a sudden this lack of offensive depth. That's still going to be there. And I I understand the... uh, the way Chief described what he's hoping the team evolves into next year might be boring for players, but you know what's not boring is winning. Yeah, at the end of the day, that's how they <laughs> won the Stanley Cup in exactly. 2019. Now, they're obviously going to need to get better work out of Bennington, especially with Huso gone in next season. But the other thing that I think will happen with the presence of Letty for an entire season, remember before he got here, all the turnovers in the blue zone zone. And then they cleaned that up when he got here. And he's smooth getting the puck out of his own zone. I would guess that if Letty is able to play for 70, 75 games, the blues turnovers that lead to goals in their own zone will dramatically decrease. I hope so. And, you know, the, the question that we posed is what's the blues identity now? Mm-hmm. And I look for it to be kind of a, not a change of guard completely when it comes to leadership, because you still have Braden Shen, you still have obviously Ryan O'Reilly, you still have Colton Braco, but I'm looking for Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo to keep ascending and take that next step forward as being really strong foundational pieces, and especially Robert Thomas is more of a leader of this team. But when it comes down to what is the identity now, Randy, to me, this is Jordan Bennington's team. Mm-hmm. A lot of pressure is going to be placed on number 50 this season. I don't think he can have a stretch this year like he did last year. Yeah. And they really made a big gamble and thinking that he can do it consistently for an entire season and granted he he did it in the last five games of the season we saw it certainly in the playoffs that this is a guy that can win a Stanley Cup for you but in allowing Husso to walk who had a tremendous regular season you're putting a lot of money in the fact that you have a, a guy between the pipes that you think you can rely on for the entirety of the season right and I'll expand that because I think that the, the identity of the team well if you're going to pick one singular guy it would be Bennington but it is behind your own blue line. That's where everything, the foundation is going to be built. That's where they have their money spent mm-hmm. on Pareko, Letty, Krug, Falk. That, that's that's where they spent a bunch of money. They've got the youth up front. And obviously guys like Kairou need to forecheck better. Uh, Robert Thomas needs to ascend to a top 10, 15 player in the NHL. That's what he's going to be paid. But I, I'm with you. I would think that if Bruby has his way, and he's the coach, so he should. This team will look in style a lot more like the Stanley Cup champions than the team last year, which is, by the way, where the league is headed. It's headed towards more skill and more scoring. But when you get to the Stanley Cup finals, it's those teams that play great defense and have great size defensively that wind up winning. I also am going to throw Colton Pareko in the mix when we talk about Robert Thomas taking another step as a leader. Colton Pareko's 
been that guy a little bit, but I'm looking for him more and more as the years go on to keep ascending into being um, one of the the true, true leaders of this team. When you give a guy an eight-year contract, you give him an eight-year contract to be a number one. Yep. And when Petrangelo left... Well, we think that Colton Pareko can ascend to to that level of being a number one. He's just got to be a number one. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, our friend Isaac Bruce has his big gala coming up in August. We're going to talk about that and a little bit about what's going on in the NFL with the great Isaac Bruce next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and we're looking forward to two weeks from Friday. We'll be back in Canton for the Pro Football Hall of Fame induction of former Rams coach, St. Louis Rams coach, Dick Vermeil. And we were there last year for the induction of Isaac Bruce, and we are, we're proud of that. And we're proud to have the Hall of Famer with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Isaac, good morning. How you doing? Hey, Randy. Hi, Michelle. I'm well and I'm blessed. Thanks for having me on again, man. I appreciate it. Well, we always love having you on, and we're looking forward to August 26th, your annual gala at the Four Seasons St. Louis to benefit the Isaac Bruce Foundation, and you're going to have a great guest, a new Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah, it's our Gritter Gala uh, that we put on once a year, presented by McBride Homes and Amherst, uh Friday, August 26th at the Four Seasons down in St. Louis. And uh, Coach Vermeil, he'll be our guest of honor. Uh, have a great time to hear some of his stories and a couple of my stories and some of my former teammates will be in town as well, uh, uh, be, at, be at this event. So it's always special. I'll get the chance to, uh, you know, really go back and uh, share with St. Louis and just having Coach Vermeil as a guest of honor is going to be even special. Isaac, we know how awesome it was for you to go in last year and get your gold jacket, but what does it mean for you to have your coach go in as well? You know, I've had the uh, fortunate blessing to see uh, about three of my teammates go in and uh, get their jackets and have their places uh, uh, really enshrined in Canton, Ohio, as far as football is concerned, and just have a coach. Um, I think it's special because, you know, um, I, I kind of look at it two ways. I, I think some of my former teammates have mentioned this as well. You know, it just just reminds you just how loaded we were. I mean, from a coaching standpoint, from a player standpoint, uh, just the just the the personnel that we had, feel like we left a lot on the table. But at the same time, just to see these guys, you know, get their flowers, uh, Coach Vermeil particularly, man, he's been doing this for a very long time. Uh, he's, he's one of you know few coaches that have led two franchises uh, out of the heats to the Super Bowl. So um, definitely well deserving, and I can't wait to celebrate with him. Isaac, you're right. That team was absolutely loaded. And when we talk about the greatest show on turf, of course, we lead with the Hall of Famers. We talk about the big time stars that were on that team. But I was thinking about this last night and any team success. There's always a player that doesn't get the shine or the flowers, as you say, more than the others. So who's somebody on the greatest show on turf turf that was really critical to your success that was maybe kind of an unsung hero? Uh, we can talk about the entire defense. The defense uh, ended up winning the NFC Championship game versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that year, led by Todd Light, Mike, Mike Jones, London Fletcher, the Dre Blythe, the Keith Lyles, uh, those guys. And they played really great football. Uh, Kevin Carter, DeMarco Farr, those guys played tremendous football all year long and even prior to the assembly of the greatest show on turf. And uh, I think a lot of times they kind of get 
lost in the equation when we talked just about how great that team was, but they were a magnificent defense just shutting down uh, everything that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers could throw at them uh, that night in uh, in the Dome. Isaac, I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but DeMarco used to tell us when we would do the show that he would stand on the sidelines in 95 and 96, and you were the centerpiece of the offense, but there wasn't an awful lot else there. And DeMarco would actually yell, hey, the ball's going to 80. The ball's going to 80 to the other defense. Did you ever hear him yelling that? I didn't, but I wish he hadn't because, uh, you know, I already had probably two guys trying to cover me at that time, so I didn't want the extra attention. But, you know, you know, we had Jerome Bettis for a while. We had other guys come in that, that could, uh, uh, you know, do their thing and produce at a, at a high level. Just unfortunately, you know, I kind of ended up as the sole offensive player at that moment. But, you know, that changed quick for the better. And, uh, you know, we added those other guys via draft, via free agency, and they came in and, and uh, we took off. So 20 years ago, Michelle, the Rams are coming off of Super Bowl 36 and 14 and two season and the, the, the really disappointing loss to New England. And at the beginning of that 20, 2002 season, Isaac and I are doing a TV show together for Charter. And we get off to an, we being the, the group, St. Louis, the Rams get off to an 0-5 start. And Isaac, I was always so appreciative because I was, that was a miserable time, that 0-5 start for everybody. But you handled that with such a plum and such smoothness. And it's just who you are. But that, man, that was a tough time, that 0-5 start, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I was taught by some of the best, uh, the Henry Ellett's, uh, the, uh, the Jack Snow's, and, and uh, you know, guys who, who who had played for the Rams and, you know, they had gone through some down times. And one of the things I learned from those guys was, you know, never to kill your wounded. Um, you know, you got to make, make sure that you're there to edify, uh, use that sandwich that I always talk about, which is uh, um, really edify a guy, correct a guy, and then end up with more edification. So, um, that was the approach that I was taking with that show, man. But on the inside, you know, on being 0-5, that's not fun for anybody. You know, out of that came the emergence of Mark, Mark Bolger and uh, everything that he added to the team, uh, which was, was, was truly a blessing for us because, you know, he was another guy that started coming on, started to really get a feel for the offense, for what we were doing, and uh, Mike really trained him well, and, and we saw him blossom. Was it difficult at that time when in that wide receiver room because Oz had been here in 98 but really hadn't played and Torrey had never really experienced adversity in the NFL, really? So uh, right. how did you handle that with those young players and how did they handle it? Uh, it was different. Like you said, it was new to uh, Torrey. I mean, Torrey came right in off the rip and uh, won a Super Bowl championship. I mean, uh, how great is that? So, um, you know, and for Oz, for Oz to be – uh, not really playing that much in 1998 and then become the player that we saw him become. It was great to see these guys mature, but it was even even more encouraging to see them when they went through adversity to have the same mindset, to go out and want to be the best group uh, on our team as far as the wide receivers were concerned and just realizing and that we were the engine, we were the juice, we were the oil that kept the thing running, and we were the group that gave the team the chance to win. So, they really pushed through those moments, and uh, you know we helped to tutor uh, the other guys that came into our room. Uh, we encouraged Bulger to be the, the best he could, and just just throw it around the field. And we we're going to make plays for him. I want to go back to your coach Dick Vermeil, the Hall of Famer Dick Vermeil, uh, Isaac, for a second, yeah, because. Yeah. 
we know that he is a remarkable football coach, but it always seems to me like his superpower in that position was connecting with the person in addition to the player. Can you tell us a little bit about what made Dick Vermeil so effective at connecting with his players on a personal level? Well, you know, if I had to just choose one word to define him, it'd be loyalty. Um, he was going to be loyal to you sometimes to a fault. We saw it happen uh, with a couple of players, uh, you know, during his tenure there in St. Louis. But he was either going to make you his friend just from, you know, from, from the initial greeting, or he was going to start to wear on you as far as the practices were concerned. Uh, you know, you start to hate him, and then you start to love him. I mean, there were a lot of us that had that very situation with Coach Vermeil. But I'll tell you what, at the same time, when, you're, when your career was done, as far as football playing days were over, you know, he's that guy that's always calling you, checking in on you. Um, very similar to what he did while he was actually the coach of the Rams. So um, just loyalty is a loyal guy. Um, he's about getting you better in every way he can. And I saw him do that with a, with a number of players. I am here with Michelle Smallman, huge Dan Marino fan. Isaac, I don't know if you're this, aware of this, but uh, the Dan is Michelle's guy too. So I've got yeah. I've got two people here yeah. whose whose childhood yeah. guy was Dan Marino. So I'll let you discuss. Yeah, yeah he's the best, Isaac. <laughs> well, you know, he was my football hero. So um, he he along with Mark Clayton and Mark Duper, Matt Moore. Uh, you know, I was a Dolphin fan for the probably the first 21 years of my life, right up to the point where I got drafted. And, uh, you know, every time I see Dan, I, I automatically go back to that, you know, that little kid in South Florida watching the Miami Dolphins play. And, uh, you know, he has to put up with me. He has to put up with my shenanigans. And when I'm taking selfies of him, you know, we're both wearing a gold jacket. But, you know, to me, that's Dan Marino, the greatest quarterback to ever play in the National Football League. And, uh, you know, if I had to, always had to choose one, he'd be my 1A, no doubt. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine what a Marino-Bruce connection would have looked like. How fun would that have been? And don't be surprised, Isaac, if you see me trying to get in the background and photobomb you and that selfie and when we're in Canton in a few weeks. But I always say it's a sports tragedy that Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl. Oh, uh, you know what? I mean, just consider you know, his career. He came in and he was ripping it up early. I think he broke a ton of records his first two years, two, uh, that first season, or that second season, uh, the touchdown record. But you know, just just looking at the, the the totality of his career, he really never had a strong defense. He really never had a strong running game to to rely on. And um, you know, it's unfortunate that he didn't get a, a second shot at a, uh, another Super Bowl. Uh, he played in a couple of uh, AFC Championship games, and it just meant, didn't materialize to a Super Bowl appearance. So, um, you know, he talks about it, and it's it's kind of it's humbling. And it's eye-opening just to hear the words come out of his mouth when he tells stories and he gives the background of a lot of what happened in those seasons. And so um, maybe we get that again, Michelle, this, this coming uh, induction and uh, <laughs> sit down and talk to Mr. Marino. Oh, that'd be amazing. One more thing yeah. from me, Isaac. Um, last night I was watching the Home Run Derby, and afterwards the first episode of the new Derek Jeter documentary, The Captain, mm-hmm. was uh, debuting on ESPN, and I was watching it. And as his career evolved, they were talking about how Derek Jeter loved to play in front of the crowd, and there was nothing like right. being at the top of your game and getting to play in front of a packed house. And I knew we were going to speak to you today, and I thought about you and about that team and just what an adrenaline rush it must have been for you guys to know how good you were to know how talented you were and to be able to go into a stadium and feel the eruption of the crowd and I thought about you Isaac and I thought he has to miss that so how how much do you miss that feeling 
Well, I'll tell you what, since we're talking baseball, hopefully the Cardinals or my team, the Red Sox, are getting in on the, uh, on the grand prize of Juan Soto here uh, <laughs> lately. But, you know, just, just, just with, with Derek Jeter, I mean, he was a consummate pro, uh, a superstar. And when you talk about the crowds, the home crowd is, uh, you know, it, it's one thing. I mean, you can expect that, team, that crowd to really cheer for their team, be knowledgeable of the players. Uh, be knowledgeable knowledgeable of what we're trying to do offensively and defensively. But when you when you enter into the playoffs, it's almost like it's a neutral field because, you know, they're loud, they're rambunctious, and um, they know when to cheer and when not to cheer. When you go on the road to play games, like when we would go to Seattle, you know, I think our biggest one of our biggest goals was to shut the crowd up because they were so loud. The stadium was built uh, for, uh, you know, you know, the, the acoustics to really come down on the field, and you can barely hear yourself think on the sideline. But when you go into those type of atmospheres and have an opportunity to make a play or win a football game, we, we had that opportunity, I believe, in 2004 when we, when we beat them in a playoff game. It was so loud in there. But then after the game, you can hear, you know, like we say, where I'm from, a rat piss on cotton. uh, it's great it's great those moments are great you never forget no doubt about it hey isaac i want you to tell people about your flight 300 program that allows kids to get to school and that's one of the things with the gala on august 26th that people will be contributing to yeah thanks randy uh our flight 300 program it is really taken off uh we partnered with uh american airlines and got over four million miles uh, from them, and we just had the opportunity to send uh, student athletes, uh, just students, to their schools where we take care of the flight, one-way uh, one trip. We take care of uh, dorm decor. We also do Uber rides, and uh, I believe this year we booked over 300 flights. So we're growing, and uh, this is everything. It has everything to do with what we're doing as far as this Gridiron Gala presented by McBride and Ammon. Uh, August 26th. So uh, we're always accepting donations. Uh, we're, we're looking for sponsors to help with these uh, students to get to school. And uh, they're ever so grateful. They always call us. Tiffany Burr, she does a great job, and they always call her. And some of them some of them are in tears because, you know, without this program, they probably wouldn't be able to get to school. And um, I'm just fortunate to be able to be that bridge to help these kids get to their education and start their careers in, in college. And we're so fortunate to have you as a member of our community, Isaac, and people can go to get tickets at IsaacBruce.org for the gala on Friday, August 26th at Four Seasons, honoring Dick Vermeil. Mr. Bruce, it's always great to hear your voice. We can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks in Canton. Hey, thanks, Randy. Thanks, Michelle. Appreciate you having me on. You bet. We'll see you later. That is the Hall of Famer, Isaac Bruce. By the way, this year, Flight 300 sent or are sending 325 students to their schools. They book the flight, riding Uber to and from the airport as needed, gift cards for dorm essentials for first-year applicants, plus covering the cost to check bags for all 325 students. And that's all because of the Isaac Bruce Foundation. Things that a lot of us wouldn't think of. People that don't have the ability to get to the school where they might have or probably do have... uh, some sort of scholarship and what Isaac and his 
foundation do is provide transportation, flights, literally, and thanks to American Airlines, to get these kids to school. Which is so important. I think most of us just assume all of that's handled by the school and that you don't have to deal with it. But I can't imagine being in a position where you need to get to school and you need to to compete, but you don't have the resources to do it. So that's an amazing initiative that Isaac and American Airlines have put together. And again, you can learn more at IsaacBruce.org. The fight is coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. It's that time of the show. It's time for the fight on Carricker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Irvin is joining us on the line. He's going to be Randy's competition today. Good morning, Irvin. How are you? Good morning, Nicole. How are you? I'm uh, good. I'm doing well. Thanks so much for asking. Are you ready to challenge Randy right now in the fight? I am. Okay, here we go. Good luck to you, Irvin. Question number one. Who was the first African-American to play for the St. Louis Cardinals? Was it Tom Alston, Frank Baines, or Elston Howard? Elston Howard. How many nations boycotted the 1980 Olympics in Moscow? Was it 44, 55, or 66? 55. Irvin, across his four years as a pitcher in Major League Baseball, how many wins did Rick Ankiel collect? Was it 10, 13, or 16? 13. And who was the kicker who who famously missed his Super Bowl-winning kick wide right? Was that Gary Anderson, Morton Anderson, or Scott Norwood? Scott Norwood. Okay. Score it. I have... Hold on. Discrepancy on the score. Oh, Uh, yeah. You're sorry. You're you're correct. You're correct. You're correct. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. We have confirmed it. I I got cute with similar names in the first question, and then it bit me. (laughs) Randy is coming in. Irvin, where are you calling from? Um, St. Charles. Awesome. Randy, please say good morning to Irvin from St. Charles. Irvin, good morning. How you doing? I'm good, Randy. How are you? Doing well. Are you named after Irvin Johnson? No. Okay. I'm just asking. That's an unusual first name. It's spelled different. Oh, okay. How's got it spelled? It. E-R-V-I-N. Okay. So there's a lot of Irvins with E-R-V-I-N. I got it. Right? Is, is that correct? Did I have it right? Correct. Okay. Awesome. All right, Randy, you ready to go? I'm ready. Question number one for Megamind. Who was the first African-American to play for the St. Louis Cardinals? I believe that would have been Tom Alston. How many nations boycotted the 1980 uh, Olympics in Moscow, led by the United States? Led by the United States. Uh, I really don't have a clue, so I'll do the lifeline. Was it 44, 55, or 66? Mm, I'm going to say that uh, the United States had a lot of influence then, and I'm going to go with 66. Across his four years as a pitcher in Major League Baseball, how many wins did Rick Ankiel collect? Rick Ankiel, so nine and four. I will go with, um, I'll go with 11. 
It's also his birthday today. I saw the Cardinals tweet it. Happy birthday, Hank. And who was the kicker who famously missed his Super Bowl winning kick wide right? Come on, let's be nice. It's a fact. I can't be mean with facts, Randy. Well, that's not true. Uh, It was Scott, Scott Norwood. Was it Irvin or was it Randy? Rocchio, ring the bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. There we go. Fired again. Your oh. mic wasn't up. Just win, baby. There you Al's go. mic wasn't up. Yeah, that's right. I'm sorry, Irvin. It was a close fight, but Randy beat you three to two. So close. Thank you. You got it. Thanks for Thanks, listening. Irvin. Thanks for playing. So the first African-American to play for the St. Louis Cardinals was Tom Alston. You got that right, Randy. 66 nations boycotted the 1980 Olympics in Moscow. Just going with the logical high number there. There you go. Happy birthday to Rick Ankiel. I'm going to throw in the HBD to Ank. Across his four years as a pitcher in Major League Baseball, he had 13 wins. 13? Oh, he was more prolific than I thought. 11-1-1. and 11-1-1. Breaks down the seasons. Mm-hmm. He got his wins. Um, who was the kicker who famously missed his Super Bowl winning kick wide right? It was Scott Norwood, not Ray Finkel. <laughs> was Ray Finkel one of the answers? No, but I wish it would have been. I should have put Finkel as one Races of the answers. out, you know, Dan. Sh- my, fin- my, my three answers, sh- my options should have been uh, Ray Finkel, Einhorn, and then Scott Norwood. Those should have been the three options for the for the answer. That's my bad. Finkel is I haven't heard that one in a while. Oh, it's too hot. Feel it hot, hot, hot. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing. You just unloaded the whole barrel on poor Irvin. It wasn't on Irvin. It was just for fun. He, hey, listen, he got a history question right. Like Which Randy's going to jump. I mean, the, I'm, I'm counting the Moscow ones as a history question. You got a, he got a history question right. I mean, and, and he won the fight with it. I mean, come on, let let the man celebrate. Multiple choice is my savior. You know, we need to talk to Isaac Bruce about Ray Finkel. If we're talking Dan oh, Marino, yeah. we need to talk to him about laces out. We absolutely Dan. do. Yeah, get Dane Looker on too. Or Snowflake, just a casualty and all of that. Thankfully, Ace Ventura found him, and Thank Snowflake was goodness. returned safely because Snowflake was just catching strays for no reason. Yeah, not fair at all. No, absolutely not. It was kind of. A, I wonder if Peter got involved there. Pro- I'm sure. <laughs> That's not the first, so. not the sure. first or yeah. last Jim Carrey movie that Peter got involved with. Okay, so uh, yesterday uh, we had the our, our draft for the Home Run Derby. This morning at like. 650, we have major controversy, which we're going to report to you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Okay, yesterday... We held our Home Run Derby participant draft for the second year in a row. And Michelle, you and I both had different visions and views of what our Home Run Derby draft entailed. I'll start with mine. I I thought that we were drafting a group of players that would hit the most home runs total. And you thought... 
that we were picking someone who we thought would ultimately be the champion. So, and by the way, last year when we did it, we did total home runs because I remembered somebody was challenging Shohei Otani at the end. It was Trey Mancini, as it turns out, that needed to hit 16 home runs and he wound up hitting like 10. And so you wound up with more home runs last year and I had to spin the wheel. But see, when we were talking about this yesterday, I was under the impression that that the reason I won was because of Pete Alonzo well, winning. And oh, that's even, right. he, yeah, Alonzo beat me. That was Alonzo that beat Mancini. Uh-huh. And there was no it. clarification. And last night, I even texted the group text, get ready to spin Randy. And Matt Rocchio responds, ball was in the hand at the buzzer. Hashtag justice for Randy. So it seems like he thought the same thing. See, and I, I thought we were just going with last year's rules. I that's why we, we need preparation and discussion. consistency. There's, there's got to be preparation and discussion on things like so, this. Because anyway, we both drafted differently. Michelle did draft Juan Soto last night. I drafted players that hit 143 home runs. And Michelle drafted players that hit 129. So we'll allow the tie-breaking vote here to come from Matthew Rocchio. Maybe we should just both spin it since that's we didn't communicate. Idea, yeah, Not a bad idea. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna turn away the idea that that, that, that you both spent. I was under the impression, though, like Michelle said, uh, based on my text, which was the ball was still in the hand. You know, I don't uh, even know what that meant. Essentially, it, I, I think there were there was a bunch, there were like three different controversies. Uh, you know, they, apparently ESPN miscounted the Pujols home runs at one point. Oh, okay. There should have been a second um, thing, but I think it was the last Soto home run. Before his bonus thing, before his bonus time, he it left the pitcher's hand before oh, okay. the or after the time went out, which meant it shouldn't have counted. And so it would have been, it would have, it would have led to a different winner in the end had the had it not counted oh, correctly. So there was something along massive those lines. controversy last. Jeez, what I'm saying, I, and I'm happy to spin, but this is just not what I thought we were drafting. Okay, which is why I even tweeted about it last night. I missed your tweet. I'm sorry. How dare you! No, I'm kidding. I, I tweeted Pete Alonzo meditating and just looking, yeah. you know, absolutely He did forlorn. hit 43 home runs last night. But I said a live looking at Randy Carricker before he has to spin the wheel tomorrow. <laughs> because I thought since my one of my players won, uh, yeah, but again, this is why we just need to make sure there's clarification okay. moving And I forward. was just going to base, I, I thought that we all had the same ideas from last year. But we didn't change it up, so now we'll both spin the wheel. Wheel's giving me trouble. <laughs> oh, we got wheel problems. I took the wheel apart to clean it because the wheel was dirty, and because of all the construction around uh, the studio, the wheel had gotten very dirty, and so I took it apart to clean it. And let's just say I should have taken a picture before I took it apart because I'm having one of those moments with it. But I got it fixed now. Again, we got to do this stuff in advance, guys. <laughs> I mean, right. this was supposed to be a fun segment, and now we don't even have we don't even have a wheel. wheel. Our pets' for, heads for are falling off. Segment. For a wheel segment. Oh, man, is, yeah, we need a wheel. I'm so sorry, guys. So, I well, let's talk a little bit about Pete Alonso because he became, he's been a villain in St. Louis mm-hmm. ever since the tussle yeah. uh, where Shelby Clapp took him to the ground and he said, I'm a big, strong guy. I could hurt people. I could put people in the hospital. Paraphrasing. Um, but I think last night, watching him deadlift in full uniform in yeah. between rounds and showing him meditating. And we know that he is built for the home run derby. He's won it and he takes it very seriously. But everyone else is out there and they're being really joyful and kicking it with all of the other mm-hmm. all-stars and their families and all of the kids. And he just seemed to be on a totally different level. And I know a lot of people were rubbed the, the wrong way by that. So what do you think, Randy? Yeah, I am not a fan. I think that... Uh the way that people like Soto and 
Kyle Schwarber and Seeger and, and Rodriguez, the way they handled it with smiles and joy was more attractive to me. And I guess Peter Alonso takes it pretty seriously, which is, is fine. But I just have a preference for the, the people that are having more fun with it. Me too. But I also think that that brought in a, a different energy. And I mm-hmm. love that he was, I love that there's somebody at what is generally a, just a fun joyful event that could be a villain in the home run derby. That's I thought it need. added yeah. great theater. Yeah. And it would have been cool to see him. Well, it, it was fine to see him do what he did, but it would have been cool to see him in the finals and then lose a heartbreaker at the end, just because of the way he acted. I was texting with uh, someone that we know on the show that sh- shall not be named or from our station, I should say that said that if Albert beat Pete Alonzo in the home, uh, the finals of the home run derby that he would sell his house, move out of his house. Really? Yeah. But he didn't want to talk about it on air, uh, which I'll tell you in the break. <laughs> but he that's how badly he wanted somebody to beat Pete Alonzo because it was just assumed, I guess, that Pete Alonzo would advance to the finals. <laughs> I'm glad that Pete Alonzo lost. And he'll probably go on and hit 30 home runs in the final three months of the season. Totally. And lead them to the division title. We got the wheel. You want to spin it? We got a minute. Yeah, I've delivered the wheel to Randy. It is up for Randy for a spin. spin it, is, it is fixed, and it is proper. Uh, it appears to work, except it's on backwards, but it's okay. <laughs> it's on backwards? Yeah, the, the, this thing goes in the back. It's spinning, isn't it? <laughs> okay, so you want me to go first? I would love to have you go I first. I can't read any of these because it's written in not a black marker. So this is going to be, <laughs> black this is really the biggest fail we've ever had on the oh, show, yeah. by the way. I can't read any of this. So this is going to be fun. So I'm going to spin first. Oh, and I just <laughs> and it goes forever. broke the clicker off of it. The clicker broke the clicker. All right. What is it over? I think it's a 70s karaoke. Yep. 70s karaoke. Okay. Interesting. Which Randy lost last time and I wanted to hear Michelle do it. That worked out better than I thought it would. And, uh, oh, that was a weak spin. Come on, go for it, Randy. <laughs> this thing's going to break because it's not put together correctly. Should we just table this and do it another time? Because I feel like you can't even spin. There we go. Okay, there it goes. It's spinning. Click, 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 click. And here we go. It's stopping on. It's between two, Randy. You got to pick one or two. It's on the blue. Non something. Oh, non sports fight for Randy Carricker. Randy's got to do a non. Randy's got to do a non-sports theme-related fight, which is really what I wanted. That doesn't yeah, feel I'm like a punishment. Come on, these we didn't even talk about this before. No. How is that not a we punishment? We did karaoke, yeah. a non-sports fight. These are not things that were supposed to be on the wheel. I kept th- I kept two oh, that were on the reel from the prior wheel, and I brought in eight new ideas that the <laughs> listeners texted us last week when we went over this. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Mobile on the Run. On the Run is your summertime snack and sip store. It's time for Killing Me Smalls. So Madden NFL 23 out, Randy, and it's causing a lot of consternation, especially among NFL players, because they don't approve of their rankings or their ratings. So the top 10 wide receivers in Madden NFL 23 are Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, Tyree Kill, 
DeAndre Hopkins, Stephon Diggs, Justin Jefferson, Mike Evans, Terry McLaren, excuse me, Keenan Allen, and Amari Cooper. Okay. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that top 10? It's okay. Missing an obvious name, I think. But Who do you think is the obvious name? Jamar Chase. I would think so, too. And he quote tweeted that and said, I'm going to keep working extra motivation. Yeah, he's certainly one of the five most dominant receivers in the game. Terry McLaurin, the guy from the the, the W from the Commanders, I guess. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't go there. Uh, I, I will give them Devontae Adams as number one, but I don't think. And I've said this. I think I said it a couple days ago, yesterday, I guess. Jamar Chase isn't even the best receiver in the NFL from his own college team. Uh, or he, J- Justin Jefferson is, and Jamar Chase is better than Justin Jefferson. So yeah, I, I would say that that is a a big miss on the on the Madden folks' part. Yeah. And DeAndre Hopkins barely played last year. But there he is. Yeah. Yeah. If I was Jamar Chase, I wouldn't be pleased either. But I also think it's so funny how a video game means so much to these it's guys. Amazing. But they really put a lot of stock into it. Yeah. And. It's, it's great that that does motivate guys, if that's what they need for motivation. But it also shows how big the Madden game still is. I, I used to get the Madden game every year. My son got it every year. And I think he still gets it, actually, and plays it. But I haven't played it since the Rams left it at the very latest. I've never played it. I'm not a video game person. Though. It's really hard now. It used to be pretty easy, and now it's too hard for somebody like me. It's not fun anymore. It just the, the games they, they don't they don't develop it anymore it doesn't feel real it's it's yeah. it lost the simulation quality it had in the in the, in the early 2000s you're killing me small so Albert Pujols as we know unfortunately did not win the home run derby but he did walk away with some hardware of sorts I don't know if you saw this Randy but he won the ham slam John Ham St. Louis and was on hand wearing a great Cardinal jersey by mm-hmm. the way and he presented Albert Pujols with a huge bedazzled ham hock that said ham slam on it what did you think of that uh, first of all one of the great skits in the history of Saturday Night Live was when John Hamm was the host and Michael Bublé was the musical guest. And they had a restaurant called Ham and Bubbly and they put like <laughs> ham into champagne. Great. That was, that, that was the restaurant. I think it's a great idea. The ham hock is a great prize and a great idea. That is, I mean, we've seen the turnover chain. We've seen the home mm-hmm. run chain. The angels have the cowboy hat. Maybe we need to take the ham slam chain and bring it back for the second half. Yeah, have in the Cardinal dugout. Yes. I think that'd be... That'd be fantastic. Dylan Carlson goes yard. He gets the ham slam chain. Bragging rights. I think it'd be so fun. Yeah. And that's something that the Cardinals have never really done. And I think now is the time to do it because Albert is having so much fun. It's been a pretty buttoned up organization for a long time without things like that. I think it'd be fun to have something new and exciting like that. And maybe we could talk to the Cardinals and whoever yeah. won the ha- the ham slam chain for the night could pop on the show the next morning. That's a great idea. And, you know, we could get a the little bragging slam. rights going. I think it'd be awesome. Yeah. Would you say the last time this team really had a lot of fun was when they would hit a home run and uh, whether it was the conga line or Carlos throwing water in the face of the guy who hit the home run? I don't know. 17-game winning streak was pretty fun. But were they having a lot of fun? It seemed like they were, yeah. yeah they just didn't have a fun thing. You're thinking happy flight or yeah, right. or like when they did the um, the monster thing. Remember yeah. versus the Dodgers, the Mickey Mouse stuff, they would do the monster thing. Um I know that Matt Carpenter with the salsa. That was good, yeah. There, there have been some things. Yeah. 
I know I'm missing some too. Yeah, but nothing like a jacket or a chain or something like that that a lot of teams do. Like the Royals a few years ago had a praying mantis that went on the road with them. <laughs> yeah, it's time we introduce something like yeah. that into the Cardinals dugout. The ham slam out. is it. The ham slam is it. It's big. It's swaggy. Yeah, just bring it on the road with you. It's connected to a big time movie star. Why not? Yeah. Did, did the Astros ruin the whole ripping of the jerseys thing for everybody else now? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, dang. That was fun. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, your favorite hot mess in sports is the Los Angeles Lakers. So anytime mm-hmm. I see a story involving the hot mess that is the Lakers, I think of you, Randy, and I want to present it to you. So Chris Haynes reported that even though there's been a lot of discussion and consternation about Russell Westbrook and what his future might be in L.A., that LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook reportedly had a phone conversation where, quote, the trio expressed their commitment to one another mm. in hopes of making it work for next season. In hopes of making it work. <laughs> First of all, Michelle, I want to backtrack here because my favorite version of Doritos is the Lakers special edition Nacho Year. Oh, (laughs) so good. So good. And it had those three on the cover. It was fantastic. I love the fact that they got on the... uh, Who gets on the phone to have a conversation these days? Well, they had to because LeBron and Westbrook's relationship has been apparently frosty. They both were at the Summer League games in Vegas, and they didn't interact once, Mm -hmm. even though they sat across from each other. So clearly getting together in person was not on the table. Yeah. I don't think this is going to work. I still think that, number one... Street clothes is still going to be wearing street clothes most of the time. I hope not, because when he is healthy and plays, he's so fun. He makes a lot of difference. But those three together last year, they they were 11 and 10. They were on a 40-47 win pace when they played together last year. I don't see how you have two ball hogs, LeBron successful as a ball hog, Westbrook not as, and you succeed that way. If, if Russell Westbrook would play as a true point guard, I think it would be a different story. But he just doesn't include the other players enough, I think, for his teams to be successful. When someone shows you who they are, believe them. And they knew who Russell Westbrook was before he came to the Lakers. So I don't know why LeBron is all of a sudden in his feelings or feeling a certain type of way. Because Russell Westbrook continued to be Russell Westbrook. Mm -hmm. And don't you... Well, I don't even know if Russell has fun. Does Does he ever smile on the court? Well, not when everyone's chanting Westbrook at him. But like even when he was winning MVPs, it didn't seem like he was He does have a certain level of intensity at all times. Yeah. But how many times do we see KD smiling? Yeah, that's true, but... He's not really a smiley type guy either. He's also a guy who's never really led a team to championships. Maybe there's a common denominator here. MVP there... I know, I know Chuck doesn't say he's the bus driver, bus but I think that you can make the argument that he's the bus driver. Who's the bus driver on the Cardinals? Is it Goldie? That's a great question. Put it on the board. Yes. I would say that it... Wait, is this a segment for tomorrow? Who's the bus driver yeah, on the... That's, that's because good. you can make the argument that it's Adam Wayne, right? You could make mm-hmm. the argument that it's Paul Goldschmidt. You could make the argument that Tommy Edmond has been so valuable yes. to this team, changing positions and being excellent at both. Um, there's a lot of different ways that you could go with bus driver. But I think, let's even though Tommy Edmond is very versatile and valuable, I don't think he's the bus driver. I don't either. I think it's either between Adam Wainwright. Honestly, Miles Michaelis this year has yeah. been a bus driver. Yeah. But I think it's a rare combination between excellence on the field and or court while also being a leader and clearly the number one guy. 
And that's the, the operative word here is clearly. Which is why Goldie, even though he's the best player, he doesn't necessarily, he's not the front facing guy. Maybe behind the scenes, he's the first one to say something in that room and we just don't mm-hmm. know it. But I I just would assume that Albert or Adam Wainwright or Yachty, when he's there, would say well, something prior, or prior to Goldie speaking up. See, Albert isn't excellent anymore. That's the conundrum we have here, Michelle, is that this is Albert Pujols' team, but he's not the best player. No, he's not. But is so, he still the driver? So it's hard. Because he has the, yep. the you know, obviously the, the stats, the cachet, the legacy, mm-hmm. not only in baseball period, but with the Cardinals. Right. And you look at some teams, Bryce Harper, for better or worse, he is the bus driver on the Phillies. There's no doubt about that, Correct. right? Even though the the Angels don't win a lot, Mike Trout, even with Otani there, Trout is still the guy that drives the bus. And in basketball... He's got tin and windows on, though. He doesn't want anybody to see him no, driving the bus. No, that's exactly right. <laughs> but but he does drive it. Who, who else? Aaron Judge. I mean, there's no doubt in, in New York, right? I you don't think, know. Matty Mustache might be well, calling shotgun, at least. At, at, at the very least. But Judge <laughs> has been there. He's the face of the franchise. Totally, 100%. So, I think it's easier for some teams than it is to find one for the Cardinals. Terrible team, but Joey Votto is the bus driver of the Reds. Absolutely. Right. No unquestioned yep. bus driver. Is Ryan O'Reilly the bus driver of the Blues? I would say yes. I would say so, too. And by the way, again, in baseball, and you've mentioned Wayno and Michaelis, is there any doubt on the Mets that Max Scherzer is no. the bus driver? He's the He's guy. driving the bus, He's right? The, Francisco Lindor should also drive the bus. He should. But there's no doubt who the face of that franchise is. This isn't... We should put this up for a poll. Who's our yeah. who who are our nominees here? Wayno, Albert, Goldie Arenado? Would yeah, I you would, I would, would you put Arenado in that conversation? I would, I would absolutely put him in that conversation. I, I would too. He's you know 1A as far as the best yeah. player with Paul Goldschmidt. He's a very competitive guy that wants to win. You know that he I'm sure speaks up when mm-hmm. something goes because I'm looking for somebody like Chris Carpenter who is going to say Give me, give me, you know, actually, why are we even having this conversation? Adam Wainwright is the guy that is going to text the entire team the night before he starts and says, I got this. I got you guys. It's not going to be anybody uh, yeah, else. We should have thought of that earlier. You're right. So he Adam is. Wainwright's the bus driver. Yeah, he's the bus driver. I don't know, but Goldie, MVP. It's, good. it's a Goldie good discussion. Goldie front facing. That's, that's the difference is Wayno's coming on this show every week. Wayno's on social media. Wayno is... He he's a St. Louis guy running a charity to help St. Louis, right? <laughs> and like you said, he is. If anybody's in charge and driving the bus and guiding them as to where they're going to go, it's Adam Wainwright. I'm going to ask Mike Claiborne this question okay, next good. because I wonder if he'll have the same take. Right. I didn't. Stuff. I didn't expect this to deviate there, but there you go. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I was trying to. Well, okay, how did we get started here? Where, where was this from? What was Yachty. This? No. He hasn't been there. No, you got to be there. Otherwise, the bus just veers off the road. Can I make um, a suggestion for the Blues? While Ryan O'Reilly is a great nominee, mm-hmm. can, couldn't we argue that Doug Armstrong is always going to be the bus driver, even though he's not out on the ice? Yeah, if you were going to go non-player in sports, Doug Armstrong would be at the front of the list. No doubt about it. Yeah. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Coming up next, we are going to talk to Mike Claiborne, as we do every Tuesday here on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Question for Michelle Smallman. Answer for Randy Character. So, 
Mike Claiborne right now is in a doctor's office. Sure. And he cannot join us. If you have to wait an extra half hour in a doctor's office, should you invoice said doctor for the time of yours that they are wasting? Interesting topic. Because normally when I go to the doctor, I do wait at least an hour past my like past my appointment, appointment time. time. Right. Yeah, that's why I bring a book because I know I'm I need to settle in. It's going to be a day. Yeah. And I understand that every patient is unique and some patients you're in and you're out, you're healthy. Others tests are required. You, there's a lot of questions. You're trying to diagnose somebody. I get that situationally. It's different day to day, but yeah, I'm paying to see you, but there I am waiting. Yeah. And it seems like by now doctors have been around for a while. Seems like they should have a pretty good idea of how long it's going to take a particular patient to be served. And they should have a pretty good accurate depiction, description of when you should be able to get through the doors of their office. Absolutely. So should we start this movement? If if we're waiting a half hour plus every time, every mm-hmm. half hour you wait, you get 20 bucks? Yeah, because here's the or thing, Or 20 Michelle. bucks off your bill. Yeah, think about this. You go to the doctor's office and show up 45 minutes late. What happens? Your appointment is canceled and they're going to charge you. They're going to charge you. Yeah. Yeah. But they get to you 45 minutes late. Uh, I don't even know if they say they're sorry. And not only that, they won't get you in if you show up late. It's not like no. they're going to make room no. for you right. when you did show up. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances were. If you got stuck in traffic, if you... If you got a uh, a flat tire. Maybe you were sick. Maybe, maybe your <laughs> child was sick. You had to pick your yeah. kid up from school. None of that matters. Yeah. Uh, Mike Claiborne is with us now on 101 ESPN. Uh, oh, we're waiting for him, but we are going to get him. By the way, uh, we wanted to go back to the Home Run Derby. We have a lot of texts and a lot of uh, people weighing in in regards to the, the Home Run Derby. Won last night by Juan Soto. Future Cardinal Juan Soto. Future Cardinal Juan Soto. I thought it was interesting. And yesterday at the All-Star Game press conference, did you see that Scott Boris was sitting right next to his cubicle as he was answering questions from the media? I did see that he was chopping it up with Albert Pujols, too. Yeah. So that's a good thing. Yeah. But, of course, Scott Boris is looming at all times. Right. And Soto goes on and wins the Home Run Derby, and now he might be on another team by the time we get to August 3rd. All right. We go now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and Mike Claiborne has escaped the doctor's office, at least for the moment. And, oh, did we lose him? Oh, we, we lost him. All right, so let's get back to the Derby. Okay, so the Home Run Derby. What Or did you want to do the bus driver thing? Yeah, or the, or yeah, the home run. Yeah. So we were talking about last segment, who is the bus driver mm-hmm. for the St. Louis Cardinals? We were talking about Kevin Durant and Charles Barkley's comments. And I posed the question to Randy, who's the bus driver for the Cardinals? And we settled on Adam Wainwright, who's a great selection. Even though Paul Goldschmidt arguably is not only the MVP of the team, but the MVP of the National mm-hmm. League. He's not as front facing as somebody like Adam Wainwright. He hasn't been there as long as Adam Wainwright. So it's hard to to really not give Adam Wainwright that designation, but there is a lot of text coming in right now. So from the 573, Adam Wainwright is the tour guide on the bus telling people what's going on as the season is passing. Time to have fun. It's time to be a series. What it takes to be a Cardinal talking with fans. But Paul Goldschmidt is driving the bus. See, and I think that you have to know the direction and guide the team when you are the bus driver. I think you can be great but not be the bus driver. For example, with the Yankees, Eric uh, Alex Rodriguez won the MVP. He was their best player. 
But was Derek Jeter not driving the bus? Always, always driving the yeah. bus. So you can be the best player and not be the bus driver. Well, the 618 says, Arnado's clearly driving the bus. He's the best player on this team, not Goldie. Well, the numbers this year would suggest otherwise. I think it, if you look at war, I guess, you, you, you do take Nolan Arenado. But again, I think you can be the best player on the team and still not be the guy who's guiding the room. Let's get to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line right now. And Mike Claiborne does join us, as he does every Tuesday on 101 ESPN. Claibs, good morning. How are you doing? I am doing well, enjoying the All-Star break. Well, Claves, I want to bring you into our conversation. So last segment, we randomly started talking about Charles Barkley's comments about Kevin Durant and how even though he was an MVP and even though he was a huge piece, if not the most important piece of the Warriors winning a championship, he wasn't the bus driver. And I asked Randy, who's the bus driver on the St. Louis Cardinals? And we've been having a bit of a debate here, a lot of listeners weighing in. So I wanted to ask you, who do you think is the bus driver of the Cardinals? Well, it's a great question. Um, I, I think most people would automatically think it would be Goldschmidt or Arenado. Um, and I'm not sure either one of them. I just think they kind of they lead by example. Uh, I think Goldschmidt is a, a quiet leader. I mean, he's a very observant guy, but he's not a guy that's going to be rah-rah and high-fiving and, you know, all of that. You can barely get him to come out for a curtain call. So uh, I, I think, man. I'll tell you the guy who I think is the bus driver, and, and even though he may not assume that role and may not want the title, I think it's Tommy Edmond. We we were talking about him. All that being said, Mike, and there there's a lot that goes in. We have our own definition of the bus driver, great player who who's a leader and, and guides the way. But you're around this clubhouse a lot, and the impression I get is that it is kind of Albert's clubhouse. Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt about it. And he he definitely takes on that role of responsibility. Uh, Here, let's see if we can get Mike back. Just I want to get that answer. Yeah. But we're going to get to Polo Asensio in just a moment. So, uh, Who was at the see. Home Run Derby last night. Yeah, right. And got a lot of photos done, too, right? Oh, yeah. He was selfieing with everyone. We uh, He's going to be our all-star game correspondent, Polo Asensio, Cardinal Spanish broadcaster. Beautiful. So Mike is breaking up. So I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll just take Maybe a break. we can pop him on at 945 if he has yeah. time. Yeah, that'll be good. We will. We'll uh, we'll see if we can get Mike at 945 if he is indeed available. But right now, we will get Polo Asensio on the line. He will join us next from L.A. here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Spanish language play-by-play man Polo Asensio was at the Home Run Derby yesterday. He is at the All-Star Game tonight, and you'll hear it here on 101 ESPN. With Michelle, I'm Randy, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and the great Polo Asensio joins us now. Good morning, sir. How are you? It is a pleasure to be back with my favorite morning host, period. Well, besides the Restudo show. Um, <laughs> the Salmon... Salmon and Cracker. <laughs> salmon, salmon, Cracker, and Polo. Let's go. Hey, guys. I mean, just just, just ask me whatever you want. Just know that I'm going to go on for 15 minutes with no stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start with this then. Kind of a non-sports thing, but we appreciate you getting up 
at 7.30 West Coast time for us. Hey, Randy, Randy, what do you mean getting up? I didn't go to sleep, home. Okay, go. That's, that, I was going to ask if you, if, if you were just out on the town in L.A., if you were hitting the clubs. Hey, the town came to me. I don't go out to the town. The town comes to me. I love it. Well, Polo, you are our all-star game slash home run derby correspondent. You have boots on the ground in L.A. You were there last night. And what a scene it was. Take us behind the scenes and tell us some of the interesting things that you witnessed that we might not have gotten on the television broadcast. You are absolutely right. I have my cowboy boots on. The boots were on the ground at Dodger Stadium. Guys. (laughs) Um, there was two. There was two megastars yesterday. One Shohei Otani, the other Albert Pujols. There's a reason why MLBPR put those two guys on the same spot at different times. It's like the spot with the biggest space around, and everywhere Albert went, there was a mob of people, including ball players. Everywhere Shohei Otani went, there was a mob of people including, you know, everybody. Um, and, like you said, uh, Scott Boras, you know, taking you know, like his place and, and, and the whole festivities and blah, 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 which I like it because he's selling his player, not only Soto, but everybody else. But, hey, Juan Soto also a couple of times he, he was asked, where do you want to go, where do you want to go? He just said, I want to go and win the Derby, and he did. Congratulations, Juan Soto. What a show by J-Rod. My boy Rodriguez, I mean, he did amazing. But when Albert Pujols was hitting home runs, Dodger Stadium was electric, electric. When Albert Pujols was on top of Kyle Schwarber, former Cub, once again, a Cardinal beating a Cub, what's new? (laughs) Um, People were going off and on and on and on and on. And then when Schwarber was starting to do, you know, not hitting home runs, People were cheering the line drives and the foul balls and the foul balls he hit behind. He almost hit me. I was behind home plate. He almost hit me once. I'm like, hey, dude, it's a home run derby, not a foul ball derby. It was amazing. It was great. And let me not forget to mention Kleninger Teran. Kleninger Teran is the guy who did the pitching for Albert Pools. He did an amazing job. He put him down the middle. And at the end, you know, Albert got a little tired. It, it, it was just amazing. It was the whole scene in L.A. It was, it was fantastic. Somebody wrote yesterday in the L.A. Times that the All-Star game should be in L.A. or Southern California every time. But when I read the header of the L.A. I'm like, come on, Plasti, get out of here. But after seeing what the show they put before, during, after, and what's going to happen today, dude, it, it was perfect weather. Perfect, everything was perfect yesterday, including Albert Pujols going to the semifinals. Of course, if he wins, it's a lot better. But I can tell you, when Albert and Kleininger were out of the competition, a lot of people, L.A. style, they left early. They said, you know what? We came to see Albert. He's done. We are done. Let's go. It was, it was electric. It was fantastic. Hey, Polo, as we watch baseball and you're around the ball club and Michelle and I are around it a lot less than you are, but you can get the sense sometimes that players get disengaged and aren't really big fans and are, and are kind of jaded. It was really cool to see all of the players surround Albert like they did to show that they're really fans of the sport and fans of the guy. They are. They are. I mean, we all know what he has done. We all know what he is doing. And we all know that it's going to be really hard to find more players like him in the future, especially somebody who's playing you know, like 20 years, somebody who is 
number five on basically everything. Uh, extra base, home runs, RBIs, runs, games played. It's going to be really hard to see that. And for the kids that are 10 years old right now, maybe they have to wait 20 years to see somebody. I don't know who, uh, J-Rod or uh, Juan Soto, one of those guys. Maybe even, I don't know, Mike Trout. But it's going to be so hard. And those guys understand. And you saw it. You guys saw it. Everybody saw it yesterday. When he finished the first round, everybody went to hug him and blah, blah, blah. And that helped them. Why? Because that gave him extra, like an extra two or three minutes to rest. <laughs> because we all thought, okay, he's done. But he had like another minute with the extra balls. And that helped them get to the next level. And, and I mean, it, again, it was electric. It was fantastic uh, uh, to see Paul Goldschmidt be part of the celebration, to see Ryan Helsley be part of the celebration. Miles Michael, as he had, he had on a ride yesterday, uh, so p- perhaps he's going to be there today. Uh, you know, in case you missed it, Michael was invited to the All Star game also, and, and it was just it was just a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, and, and people here in LA love Albert, and people everywhere we all love Albert Pujol. It, it, it was just again, uh, Juan Soto won the, the title, J Rod put on a big show, but at the end, the night belonged to one guy, one one guy only. Don't make a mistake, Albert Pujol, number five for the Cardinals. I want to talk to you, Polo, about Pete Alonso because we know that he took this event very seriously. He, he's won it. He takes a lot of pride in it. But all of the other guys seem to be having a lot of fun. They were laughing, hanging out with each other. And here's Pete Alonso doing deadlifts uh, before the derby in full uniform. He's meditating in between rounds. What was the reaction on the field to Pete Alonso? The same. The same as J-Rod. When the balls were flying... It was crazy. But then when I myself, I realized it was only like he had like 30 seconds left and he only had 13 home runs. I'm like, oh, my God, the king is dead. Long live the new king. And when he lost the title or when when he was done and he knew he was not going to move forward, what did he do? What every king, like what every good uh, sportsman guy or uh, sportsmanship was great. He walked to J-Rod and he said, hey, congrats. This is you now. Like he didn't, he wasn't mad. He wasn't, you know, uh, uh, thinking he was going to put balls in the hospital or anybody else in the hospital. He was just uh, very gracious. He walked away, but it was amazing. It was a great show, and, and I cannot wait to see what happens tonight. Um, the, the celebration of Albert, the uh, Miguel Cabrera, also. It, it's, it's just going to be great. And also, uh, the Spanish broadcaster, this game is going to be uh, broadcast in Spanish and a couple of uh, outlets, ESPN Deportes. And uh, to the end, uh, Univision Deportes Network. And there, Univision Deportes Network, Jaime Jarrín, the guy who's done 64 years in Espanol for the Dodgers, he's doing the game as a, as a fel- farewell tour type of thing. He's going to call his 29th All-Star game tonight. And I was there in the booth yesterday when he was doing the Home Run Derby. And for me, a little kid from Tijuana, Mexico, now living his dream, being next to Jaime Harim, and it, it was fantastic. So, again, for me, a kid that grew up a Dodger fan, a kid that, uh, somebody who worked with the Dodgers and now has a, the pleasure and the honor of working with the Cardinals, to be back in Dodger Stadium and see all that, like see all my worlds collide, you know, my Cardinal family here, my Dodger family here, and all those great players with Albert, Jaime Harim, and everything that happened. It was just amazing, Michelle and, and Randy and everybody in San Luis and everybody listening. It was just great. I mean, seriously, I, I cannot believe how fun it was. 
and I'm so happy right now. I'm extremely happy. Polo Esencia with us on 101 ESPN. So was Jaime Harin, was, was he your motivation to get into broadcasting? My motivation for, to get into broadcasting is Eduardo Ortega. He is the, he's done 30 years with the Padres. Remember, I, wore, I grew up in Tijuana, mm-hmm. and the Padres were the, were the team there. But Jaime, I knew of Jaime back in 1981 when Fernando Valenzuela started pitching, and Fernando didn't speak English. So Jaime did the part of the translator, too. So the voice of Jaime in, in Tijuana, in Mexico, along with Mike Brito, the, the great scout that just passed away, um, those two guys became legends in Mexico because of Fernando. So he was not my inspiration because we couldn't hear him in Tijuana. But like I said, Eduardo Ortega from San Diego, I could hear him in Tijuana. But then growing up and I moved to, to California, that's the voice that I listen all the games with, with Jaime Harrin. So now, and last night after the game, he's like, Polo, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going home. I'm going to my hotel. Oh, you're staying? You know what? You're not going to your hotel. We're going to go have dinner. And we went to dinner and we talked for a good three hours. And, and I mean, I, I was, this is not about me, but that yesterday's home run derby, it was not a home run for me. It was a grand freaking that's, slam. That's great. That's awesome, Polo. Well, outside of Albert Pujols, tell me the player that you witnessed on the field last night that had the most fun. Oh, my goodness. I mean, <laughs> every – I mean, nothing against anybody, but every single Latin player on, on the sideline, they were having so much fun. My boy from Tijuana, Mexico, my paisano, Alejandro Kirk, you're going to see him today behind the plate uh, for the American League. That kid, he is 5'7", and like about 250 pounds of pure energy, pure love. He was having so much fun. And then, Michelle, I mean, I don't know if Randy knows who this is. Bad Bunny came out of nowhere. Their plays almost came down. Bad Bunny, like the greatest or superstar right now in the world, came out. Albert was with him in between that bad. That was crazy. So everybody was having so much fun. Like I said, Paul Goldschmidt. To see Paul Goldschmidt, and we all see him very serious all the time, ready to work yesterday. He was having so much fun. He was with his kids. He was with, with all the players. To see that guy have fun. And, and smile like that, to me, I was like, you know what? He gets it. He understands that when it's time to work, it's time to work. But when it's time to have fun, why not? Have a little fun. So, I mean, everybody had a lot of fun. But, jeez, um, uh, Edwin Diaz. Edwin Diaz, the closer for the Mets, he was all over the place. I mean, it, it, you just you pick one, and, and everybody was having a blast. Everybody understood what was going on. Everybody understood the assignment. And at the end, everybody was celebrating Albert Pujols. All right. With that being said, Polo, give me an MVP for tonight. MVP for tonight. Okay. I'm going to keep it very simple. It's really hard for pitchers to get MVP. But I really hope and wish that Clayton Kershaw comes out and strikes everybody out. Clayton Kershaw, I love the way he pitches. And I hope he gets the MVP. Yesterday was about Albert. Tonight, should be about Peyton Kershaw, a guy that has given a lot of satisfaction to Dodger fans, and to me, one of the greatest players, one of the greatest pitchers in MLB history. Polo Sencio, we always love hearing your voice. Thanks so much for the time, and have a great time at the game tonight. And we will talk to you soon. Hey, in honor of you guys, I'm going to get up right now. I actually, there's a lot of good bagels here in LA, <laughs> and I'm going to put some some salmon 
and my bagel, and I'm going to buy some crackers, so salmon <laughs> cracker I'm going to take with you guys. I'm going to take you guys in my heart and in my stomach. You're the best. <laughs> Thanks, Paulo. You are the best. We'll see you soon. That is uh, the great Polo Sencio, the Cardinal Spanish language play-by-play man with Benji Molina, his analyst here in St. Louis. How much fun was Polo having? Oh, that's great. And if you check his Instagram account, he was doing selfies with everybody. It was great. He was. He, he wasn't lying. He had the cowboy boots on, boots mm-hmm. on the ground, selfies with everybody. But he's right. It seemed like everybody was having so much fun on the sidelines last night. Maybe not Pete Alonso, but everybody else had yeah. a great time. <laughs> Michelle and Randy headed down the stretch towards a balloon party with T-Mac and Ajax. That's coming up with What's on Tap next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Heading down the stretch here on Character and Smallman, Mike Claiborne's phone was breaking up when we got together with him at 9.15, and he's agreed to join us for a few minutes because I wanted to hear, Mike, first of all, uh, thanks for rejoining us. We do appreciate it. Not a problem. There he is. Uh, and you, you were talking about how this has become Albert's team and Albert's clubhouse, and I wanted you to expand upon that a little bit, if you would. Well, you know, I, the way he works the clubhouse, you know, it, he works all corners. I mean, he's not only available to young players, but veteran players. They're always talking the game. And, you know, when he and Goldschmidt, that, that's, the, that's the one time you want to be the fly on the wall to actually hear them get in-depth about hitting and approach and things of that nature, preparation. And they always try to find young guys to be able to talk with. You know, we all know about Juan Epes, but, I mean, Brendan Donovan sits right next to Albert. I mean, he's, he's getting a whole ear full also. So it, it, I really feel like this is his time, his team, and, you know, he's really enjoying himself. And, as I said earlier, this isn't the same Albert that we knew from back in the day where he was maybe not as outgoing, maybe a little moody, maybe a little grumpy, but uh, he's just been a, he's been a treat to be around just to watch him in action. And, Clibs, I was thinking about this last night. This is such good exposure and, and marketing without even trying to be for the Cardinals because everywhere that Albert is being shown and all of this uh, – adoration that he's getting and all of these players talking about how great he is. He's doing all of that with the Cardinal logo plastered right on his chest. Yeah, and you know, that's a good point, Michelle. And he makes no bones about being back in St. Louis and talking about what the organization has meant to him. Uh, you know, and you're right, it is, it, it's a lot of free advertisement with regard to the Cardinals. And, you know, when you think about great players, I mean, who's next? I mean, you think about who, who's going to be next uh, when it comes to a guy walking away from the game that we all have come to respect, and not only for his skill set, but just how he conducted himself. And I'm not sure who that next person is going to be. So this is why watching Albert, you know, enjoy and smell the roses is something that we should all take heed of because we don't know when it's going to happen again. Mike, if I had to uh, ask you to make a prediction, do the Cardinals make a big move two weeks from today at the trade deadline? What do they do? Yes or no? Well, y- yes. Yes, they have to. I mean, you, you, you have too many pieces to this part, this puzzle, that you only need a couple of pieces. You, you need to have some more pitching. And I think you can take on anybody. And I think, they, you know, we've exhausted everybody within the organization. We don't have that person that's a difference maker in Memphis or Peoria or Springfield or anywhere like that. That person is not in the organization. And, I, and I've been saying this for quite some time. They've got to go out and get someone else uh, if they really want to be serious about contending. Win a division like this? Yeah, they could. 
But can they go further? No, they can't because you have to have legitimate arms, and we just don't have enough of them. Claves, what do you make about the connection to the Cardinals and Juan Soto? Um, I don't think much of it. Uh, you know, first of all, um, you know, the question is why. I mean, granted, he's a great player. But I think if you go out and get some legitimate pitching, that's a better story than having Juan Soto, in my opinion. I mean, Juan Soto is, one of, in my opinion, one of the top ten best players. And could you afford it? Probably down the road you could. I don't know if 15 – I don't think I want to be around anybody for 15 years. You know, I, I think the deal's obviously too long. Um, but I think that there is some there is some wiggle room there. Yeah, that, but the question is, do you want to deal with Scott Boris? Okay, Cardinals don't have a lot of players under him on this ball club. You know, uh, Tyler O'Neill I know is one, but he, they don't have a lot. And I think there's a reason for it. You know, the, to get caught up in being the the pinata for Scott Boris to be able to you know better himself and obviously his client is something that I don't know if the Cardinals really need to do. And Mike, if you're Washington, you're going to start by because you know you probably aren't getting Jordan Walker. You're going to ask for him and get rejected, but you're going to ask for Dylan Carlson and Nolan Gorman. I'm not so sure that I wouldn't rather have Carlson and Gorman for the next five years rather than Soto for the next two and a half. Yeah, you know, that's a good point you make. Uh, the, you know, these guys, all three of them are still developing. Soto's a little bit ahead of the curve. But when it's all said and done, uh, we're talking about guys who are going to be linchpins to your franchise uh, for a lot of different reasons. So you might be better off holding on to what you have, surrounding them with better players, pitching. And, uh, you know, th- that might be a better suit for you down the road. Now, you know, the Soto thing is going to be going on for a while because you have to remember, the, uh, the Nationals are going to be sold here soon. And they're trying to pump up the value of their team as well. And to have a guy like Soto on your roster certainly is, be, is more attractive than trying to sell the Pittsburgh Pirates. So I, I think we have to take all this into account with regard to the, the talk. And, and the other thing is this. This is or this will be the, the second slowest sports day there is. Tomorrow will be the slowest. So what are we doing? We're talking about, you know, what if with Juan Soto. I guarantee you, come September 1st, we'll be talking about somebody else. Yeah. Mike, you're still talking to a guy who has PTSD from Dave Checkett's or uh, Bill Laurie moving Chris Pronger because he thought the franchise would be more valuable without Chris Pronger. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> that One of the worst moves ever. Um, and I think we've all learned that, you know, you have to have some value mm-hmm. you know, for somebody to spend that kind of money. And let's face it, that national team is going to go for a nice piece of change. And if you have a, a, a linchpin guy like Soto on your roster, at least you have some building blocks and you still have some draw. You still have some things you can do compared to moving him and bringing in some prospects or some guys that we're not familiar with. I'll bet on the Joe West 5460 podcast with Mike Claiborne there are some great all-star game memories. There are. Joe West is talking about that and his first all-star game. And we also got into – uh, how umpires do their thing, you know, how do they travel, what are, they, what are their responsibilities, and you'd be amazed at all the things that umpires have to do other than call balls and strikes. Yeah, it's amazing, and they're living quarters outside of home when they're on the road all summer. It's amazing. So that'll be great to hear. Can't wait to tune in to the Joe West 5460 podcast with Mike Claiborne, and of course you can always check out Claib's online and all the great content they turn out. Michael, thank you very much for joining us later. We appreciate it. Have a great day and a great All-Star all right. break. You guys have a great week. We'll talk soon. See you later. That's the one and only Mike Claiborne on 101 ESPN.
And uh, great job today by our producer engineer. The uh, well, eh. none of us were great. Okay, eh. we, we were. We were eh. Yeah, yeah, I won't so, take pleasure for that. So, I won't say sorry. Okay, <laughs> thank you, Matthew. Uh, Michelle, this was entertaining, if nothing else. It was a, a roller coaster, Randy, but I enjoyed writing check on with you. <laughs> it was great. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us. Until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.